there will be no real non-controlled currency in the world. Exciting time to be involved in Bitcoin Cash at the moment. During that whole war, fighting versus big blocks, like were, were we the bad guys? Were we the ones that went listening? Fundamentally, we believe in markets, transparency, and tokenization. Come on, you gotta come stronger than that, you know, like. Hello, and welcome back to the Bitcoin Cash podcast, following Bitcoin Cash. On its rise to global reserve currency, this is episode number 85, Essential Introduction to Bitcoin Hash. Today is Friday, the 30th of June, 2023. I am your host, Jeremy Jett, is doing the producing and also guest starring on this episode uh, because we've got a load of information to cover. <laughs> I think if we had a guest, we wouldn't be able to get get through it all. Um, obviously, today is a pretty hype day for BCH. Uh, we'll discuss that, but we're not going to usually do the the usual sort of uh, format of, of the show with talking about the news, trending topics, and, and so on and so forth. Today, my plan is to provide the episode that I need when everybody's always asking me what should be the first episode of the show that I should watch and uh, how do I know what's going on, what are the basics, all of that. I thought let's just do an episode where we cover everything start to finish at a very high level and help people get into the community, which there's going to be a lot of at the moment. So uh, one important note before we get started is that there's a lot that I'm going to say and we're going to talk about that we just don't have time to go into all the details, right? So there's going to be a lot of things that are said, one or two sentences that if you're listening and you're brand new to cryptocurrency, you're brand new to Bitcoin Cash, or you have know a lot about crypto, but you know about another coin, perhaps there's going to be a lot of things that you don't understand or don't make sense. And that's you're just going to have to roll with it because I promise that there is detail behind all of this stuff, but a lot of the stuff, it'll be one or two sentences for what could be several books worth of information. So just keep that in mind uh, as we're going through it. And uh, as I heard from some uh, the fun, fun, fun YouTuber, uh, if you're feeling confused or overwhelmed, that's just a feeling of learning. All right, so let's get into it. So today's agenda um, we've got here. So we're going to talk about who we are. If you're brand new to the show, you don't know me, you don't know Jet, we'll talk about that. We'll do a price update. We're going to talk about why any any of what we're talking about here is important, what's going on with Bitcoin Cash, what's going on with cryptocurrency, all of that. We're going to talk about what's money, what's Bitcoin, what's Bitcoin Cash, how and why it will become the global reserve currency. Talk about self-custody. You have to know about that. That's the number one practical thing you need to know about cryptocurrency. Talk about scams and problems. We'll talk about the history of Bitcoin Cash, how everything got to this point. There's quite a lot of lessons and important context that you need to know uh, to really understand what's <laughs> what's happening and what's happening now. We'll talk about the flippening, which may or may not be uh, uh, getting underway right now. But if it's not right now, it will be at some point, and it's important to understand in the in the larger context. We'll talk about Celine Wallet. We'll get onto what what all that is, and then we'll do the outro. So usually the episodes are about two hours. We try and target, but I've left some extra time for this one. Maybe we'll do between two and 
two and three hours. So yeah, sorry, but there's no quicker way to explain <laughs> explain it than that. Okay, so starting with who are we? So hi, I'm Jeremy. I'm Australian, as you may or may not be able to tell from my accent. It's been slowly fading over time a little bit as I've been living in the UK. I'm a 2013 Bitcoin adopter. So by most people's metrics, that makes me one of the OGs. Uh, I was one of the most popular posters on our Bitcoin in about, you know, 2014, 2016 type of time frame during the block size wars, where I then obviously got banned for being having heretical opinions. We'll, we'll talk about uh, all what that is. I uh, started the Bitcoin Cash podcast in January of 2021, which was shortly after the eCash fork. Also relevant, we'll talk about what was happening there, what why that time frame is important. And uh, I'm a software developer as well. I've been, I started coding when I was a kid, uh, but I got into professional software development during university. Uh, you know, I'd been coding for many years, building my own small stuff, but I started scaling up. I did Ruby on Rails for a couple of years and then switched over to JavaScript and React mostly, which is where all of the action was. And I've been, yeah, full-time or employed, you know, software dev on a bunch of different projects and stuff for what, maybe five or six years now. So uh, anyway, obviously that's relatively relevant to what's going on with cryptocurrency and explains part of my interest. You need to be able to <laughs> understand the technical elements to know what's going on. And I also think it's quite relevant because very few, I would say, of the general crypto like podcasters and people having discussion, most of them are not technical at all, right? I'm thinking of like, Peter McCormack or the bankless guys famously like they often have a lot of really weird takes that I'm like if you were a dev you would know that that's not the case um so on and so forth right so uh, I just think that that can mean this show can be quite technical and I do try and explain things uh as much as possible so that everybody can follow but on the other hand this is also a bit of a show for the hardcore not this episode specifically but uh, as far down the rabbit hole as you want to go, I don't think there is any sort of other resources anywhere <laughs> that uh, goes in depth um, to the kind of level that that we do here. So uh, welcome along uh, for the ride. That's that's my introduction. Jet, introduce yourself. Uh, yeah. So as far as Bitcoin related stuff goes, uh, I made my first purchase of cryptocurrency in April of 2016, if I remember correctly. Uh, at the time, I was just dabbling with uh, starting my own company. Um, and so I was accepting pretty well every cryptocurrency that was available on Exodus. And then uh, as, the, as, as time went on, I started doing, uh, or I found Bitcoin Cash and started doing meetups because the community was awesome. And then uh, just ever increasingly, uh, how do I phrase this? Had lost interest in other coins. I have been self-employed. I've worked minimum wage jobs at tobacco shops. And uh, for the past two years, I've also been a, a software developer. So I've, I've had the range of employment and uh, as also the ups and downs with Bitcoin Cash. I've been here the whole time. 
<laughs> yeah, well, that's that's also one of the key key points of the show. Obviously, this is episode uh, eighty five, and anybody who's coming into the show now, or especially in the future, as Bitcoin Cash kicks off more and more and more, one thing that we've done is kind of archived along the way or a lot of the ups and downs, certainly in the most recent period of Bitcoin Cash's history. So it's not always uh, going to the moon and everybody having a complete party. There's a lot of chaos and drama along the way. Uh, so yeah, you can certainly go back and listen to some of those old uh, episodes to get a, get a sense of how things have developed uh, to this point. And certainly if you're listening in now, you also might have, you know, have future episodes that you'll be able to listen and, and follow along. This is obviously a historic revolution which has uh, many many ups and downs so that just kind of comes with it but the key is that we're, st we're still here still still plowing away uh and like you said you sort of lost interest in other coins so maybe let's just briefly touch on that which is there's this idea in broader cryptocurrency if you're brand new to cryptocurrency you'll often hear people talking about maximalists and maxis and there's this idea in in cryptocurrency now it's often not that well understood. The origins of, of maximalism was actually just in the early days of, of Bitcoin, which we'll talk about. Bitcoin was the majority of everything. It was 99 plus percent of all of uh, the cryptocurrencies. Yes, even from 2011 and onwards, you know, there was Litecoin and Feathercoin and lots of these other smaller coins. But Bitcoin was all the action. Everybody was in there. Everybody owned Bitcoin and almost nobody even owned any of these other coins. They were all just like these small little experiments. And the idea was that Bitcoin what was all you needed. Why would you need anything else when Bitcoin had all the network effect? It had all the merchants. It had all the people trading it. It had all the liquidity, all the volume. It had all the best tech. It had all the miners. It had literally everything, all the discussion. The network effect was just exploding. So at that time... Uh, almost everybody, including including myself, was a Bitcoin maximalist. But this is in the classic sense that you didn't need any other coins, but there was no problem with them. Like the other coins was just sort of like, well, it's a free market. If people want to experiment, they want to try different things. That's fantastic. Because then if they come up with something cool and awesome and that shows to be valuable, well, then the Bitcoin community would obviously just integrate that we would learn from what was happening in a sort of diverse interesting space on the on the fringes of the experiments and we would incorporate that that was that was the original maximalist attitude now what happened with the uh, block size war which we'll, we'll get into uh was that btc and bch got onto two different paths so bch has retained that sort of original uh, spirit of maximalism i would say which is that a lot of bitcoin cash adopters think why would i need another coin maybe they don't have a specific problem they're not out there saying your coin sucks they're not you know yelling and screaming at people like that's just counterproductive right obviously to encourage people to try out our coin we should be willing to hear what other people sort of side of the argument is and we should be paying attention to what their communities are doing because if they come up with some good ideas we need to be able to learn and and copy from it uh you know that's that's just the nature of the world people are obviously going to have good ideas that are not going to be homegrown in the Bitcoin Cash community. But the other the other side, the BTC uh, side, what people think of uh, today as Bitcoin in, in the most part, uh, their version of maximalism, you know, followed a bit of a different evolutionary path. And because of the censorship and other things that we'll uh, discuss, they instead became what was called toxic maximalists, which is they thought that rather than Bitcoin just being the one and only coin you need, 
to, you had to actually double down on that and you had to actively disavow, you had to attack and uh, label as scammers and um, insult and whatever, anybody who liked any other coin. And then that sort of has become what people mean when they say maximalist, right? They they don't mean it in the original sense of, well, you believe in one coin to rule them all, but you're sort of tolerant to alternatives. They generally mean it more in the sense of you've become closed-minded and blinded and all you think of is my way or the highway and any evidence even that contradicts this kind of cultish narrative has to be rejected out of hand, right? Yeah. And it's weird too, because I think that maximalism has changed over time. Like, I get the, um, oh, we're the immune system, we're here to fend off from scammers and uh, trolls and that kind of thing. But it went from that to exactly what you're talking about, which is, oh, you like something else? Oh, fuck you, you scamming piece of shit. Well, I mean, people, there, there, and there is, there is like anything, even something problematic like that, there, there's a seed of truth in there, right? So the, the original point that I was talking about uh, with, you know, maximalism and the one coin to rule them all. Yeah, there, there's some validity to that, right? Especially in the case of uh, forks of Bitcoin, as we'll see, right? Uh, and also to the idea that some people take this sort of toxic maximalism attitude as I'm trying to help you. It's kind of like a tough love type idea, which is that most of the coins in cryptocurrency and most of the projects and most of the different things are scams. And that that is actually true. That's correct. Yeah. Uh, most of, there's plenty of, of nonsense. So if your default advice was just stick to Bitcoin, well, a lot of the time that gets vindicated. It is actually good advice, but you don't need to be an asshole about it. <laughs> you know, instead you can just say, look, a lot of stuff is scams and let me educate you and help you understand the differences and all of that rather than it being this sort of like condescending yeah sort of all, all, the, uh, for the people who are these toxic maximalists that's kind of how they tend to think of it right is they sort of think of it as tough love and you're a noob and you're going to get wrecked and at the end of the day you're going to realize we were right and come crying back to us so we may as well just you know <laughs> start you off today with the blunt the blunt truth but that's often not how it, how it comes across so yeah i think that's important to keep in mind and I think some of it, too, is like the 4chan populist tri types where it's like they're trying to get this reaction because they know that the entertainment value of the reaction will be enough to sway other people into their camp. So I get that. I just I, I don't know how people don't get tired. Like I would just be so exhausted by all the back and forth. Yeah. And it means it's, uh, you know, and there's there's an element where it's important for a cryptocurrency to have a strong sort of core of people, what's called an intolerant minority, right? Uh, Nassim Taleb always talks about this, where he says, look, the reason that there's like halal food is the default in Canada or something like that is because even though a very few people are Muslim, you know, Muslims are very set on that. Like, I have to eat halal food, whereas everybody else is kind of like, you know, tolerant, like, okay, halal, not halal, I don't mind. As a result, it's easier for the food companies. If they just make it halal, then they hit everyone. If they make it not halal, then they're excluding some people, right? So it's very important for a crypto people to oh. get to that project because if they're in another project, what did the stream die? No, it didn't die. It just okay, all right. froze up for a second. <laughs> so it's important for a cryptocurrency project. It's important for a cryptocurrency to have a strong core of people because they're who drives everything. You know, if you're the kind of person who's, I've got a bit of Bitcoin, I've got a bit of Bitcoin cash, I've got a bit of uh, Monero, I've got a bit of Litecoin. 
well, are you going to be running meetups and in the thick of it and, you know, running a full-time podcast and, you know, running a bit? No, you're probably just going to be a little bit wishy-washy of everything. The people who are driving the project forward the most are, by definition, going to be the ones who are the most committed. So it is quite critical for a cryptocurrency to have that. But you need to have that without it being exclusionary to other people or, yeah, just rude and abrasive. Like, there's, there's no value to that. And it's ultimately counterproductive because then your coin misses out on forming community relations with other coins and being able to exchange ideas and, and all of that, right? So Yeah, and I okay. feel like even if you're the worst of the worst, you at least need something to point to and be like, this is the reference. This is what I'm talking about. And not just emotional nagging, I guess. <laughs> yes, <laughs> of course, of course. This is a highly, well, we try to be a highly logical, <laughs> reasonable rational uh show but uh i don't know once in a while it gets carried away with emotion but fa fairly we haven't had too many blow-ups or outbursts or anything on this this show i don't think nothing nothing like that okay so completely rationally then let's let's talk let's talk price so uh every every episode of this show we start out by or kind of in the in the initial segment we always get onto the price and i think this is you know, I do this very deliberately. I do make it the start of of the show on on purpose. You know, some cryptocurrency shows don't talk about the the price, but there's a couple of key reasons that I always bring it up, and I even put it at the start uh, where everybody has to listen to it to listen to the whole episode. So the first reason is because cryptocurrency is super super volatile. So I think it's actually quite important for listeners to every week they hear that the price is a bit different. And it's, it becomes normalized. It's not scary. Like, oh, it's up, it's down. Oh, God, you know. <laughs> but if you just hear it's up, it's down, the longer you listen to the show, the more you just come to expect. Yeah, of course, the price is uh, different. The other reason is, uh, well, one of the other reasons is it's a historical record. So when I go back and watch old episodes of the show, or if you, you know, listeners are doing that, it's often quite interesting to see, like, what was the price then versus what's the price now? What was the community thinking about at that time? What are they thinking about now? That's that's quite important, and it shows uh, a progress over time. And then, of course, uh, we also talk about the ratio um, between different uh, coins, BCH, uh, BTC, and Ethereum, so you can get a sense in the broader crypto markets how how things are perceiving, if the industry as a whole is doing well or not. You know, there's there's always an element to that. So today, Bitcoin Cash is at $309.15 USD, which is almost triple what it was on the previous episode. One BTC buys 99.6 BCH, so down from about 250 or 247 uh, to one to 99 to one. So a huge uh, drop in that ratio, which means a gain for, for Bitcoin Cash. Uh, one Ethereum buys 6.12 BCH, which is down from about 16 point something uh, on the last episode. So today, obviously, fantastic news for the Bitcoin Cash community. And there will be, I'm sure, many new listeners as a result. The social media has been going absolutely crazy as Bitcoin Cash has risen from 29th in the coin market cap charts up to 14th today. Um, and... Yeah, it's been great. I'm glad. I hope everybody is, you know, celebrating and enjoying a certain amount of that. Uh, obviously, on this show, 
you know, we've advised people just slowly dollar cost average in over time. If you've been doing that, you'll have a nice low cost basis and you're probably looking at uh, some increased purchasing power. So congratulations if you've stuck with it and follow the show. But it's worth noting that most weeks when I give the update on the price, it's usually bad news. The price is usually down. <laughs> on the vast majority of episodes, I'm sure the price is down. But that's another thing that people in cryptocurrency need to understand. It's quite good. This would be an introductory episode is that it's down most of the time, but when it's up, it's up big. That's kind of how crypto <laughs> works. So more often than not, it'll be sliding down. And then once it gets going, it just absolutely kicks off. Any any thoughts on the, on the price action recently? I think it's been... The weirdest thing has been watching myself actually react to it. Because for all the for all the movements down it's like yeah i don't really care about price i'm thinking about this for 15 years down the road and then seeing this like this seemed too quick so you know in my mind it's like okay well i'll double up on bch head my hedge my bets get more coins go from there uh but at the same time i also have a receipt where i you know bought the server that i run for like three and a half bch so that would put bch at a higher price than it is now even uh and that wasn't that long ago so i I have all this excitement and then i'm like uh the price has risen too fast but also i feel like we belong even like you know six or seven x the price that we're currently at so i just am confused i think more than anything it's exciting i like to see it happen but I don't know. And I also feel weird. I was trying to uh, get an artist to do a design for me. And I talked to them about this a couple weeks ago. And then I saw the price go up and I was thinking about doing a deposit. And I was like, oh, I don't want to because the volatility, like I'd like them to be able to get in on the price increase. So I'll wait for it to dip again and then send them. the. And it's just gone up and up and up since. So I'm like, well, now if I pay them and the price crashes, what do I do? Like... <laughs> And this is someone that's never really dealt with crypto. So do I just explain like, hey, this could be a mess. Maybe check out BCH bull, which has liquidity issues now. Or I don't know, maybe a stable coin. But then why are we using cryptocurrency to begin with? Like, yeah. <laughs> Next stop me says in the chat, shout out to everyone that endured the past couple of years and listened to the BCH podcast to keep it all together. Yeah, exactly. So like I was saying, there's, you know, in crypto, they have this saying about crypto winter, this idea that the long, bad, harsh times, like the Starks in Game of Thrones kind of winter is coming and then it's just winter forever. That's that's kind of how it goes. And then crypto summers are, are pretty, pretty short and exciting and yeah, often quite confusing because lots of new people flood into cryptocurrency when the price is rising and then they don't really know what's going on and they add a lot of like noise but not a lot of signal because they're excited and they're trying to figure out what's going on and then you know it all reaches a certain peak and then the, the long slow like bleed out and crash starts right so it's quite important to be able to handle the the volatility so i've got a slide here about bch price so i actually didn't, didn't update this properly but We've Bitcoin Cash has gone from rank 29 to rank 14 in around 11 days, which is an absolutely huge move. I wanted to take this as an opportunity to talk about the relevance of, of price. Now, one thing that is often sort of bandied around in the Bitcoin Cash community is that people say price doesn't matter. And in some ways, that's kind of like a cope while the while the price is going down. Yeah, price doesn't matter, price doesn't matter, price doesn't matter. But that's that's not true, okay? On this show, I don't think we've never said the price doesn't matter. 
Price does matter, but it's not the only thing that matters. Okay, so this is very important to understand. So when we talk about the the price and the price going up, for instance, is obviously fantastic, right? It's not just good because everybody is, you know, feels like they're getting richer. That's one good thing. But it's important because it's the number one thing that attracts attention. It's like the number one marketing signal, you know, for all the podcasts and all the, you know, promotional stuff that everybody in Bitcoin Cash does 24-7, no matter what the price is. It still is the case regardless that when the price rockets up, everybody suddenly is interested because people get FOMO. They think, oh, I'm missing out. There's something going on here and I don't know what it is, but I can see everybody's making a lot of money. I want to be involved, right? That's just that's just natural. So as the price rises, it it compounds the community's marketing efforts. Now, it also spreads more resources into the community because by definition, the Bitcoin Cash community are all the ones holding Bitcoin Cash. So when the price is going up, that doesn't just mean that everybody's feeling a bit richer and goes out and buys yachts. No, it's like, wait, suddenly the companies in the space have more resources. They can hire more people. They can, you know, start a new project. They can run some extra ads. They can, you know, whatever. And just that, that everybody has more money to give away, honestly, to tip to people. Here, have a dollar, have a dollar, try this out, spread it around, right? So over time, the coins do filter out into the community. And as the price rises, then that is just like a decentralized um, increase in horsepower sort of for the engine of the community. So that's that's really, really important. It's rewarding holders and it's a virtuous cycle, right? As the price goes up, as BCH or in general crypto adopters get richer, then they go out and promote cryptocurrency more and it spreads to more and more people, right? That's how it works in this kind of viral way. Now for Bitcoin Cash, there's also one other very uh, important point, which is not necessarily uh, as relevant to some other coins, but for Bitcoin Cash, it's quite critical, which is that it attracts more Bitcoin mining, more of the SHA-256 hash rate. So the everybody sort of, or most people at this point are, are familiar, at least in, in vague terms, with the idea that Bitcoins are mined, which is essentially that people are running specialized computers uh, that are sort of pulling out cryptographic lottery tickets looking for the right number essentially to announce the next block of bitcoins and they do that because they get rewarded with the new emission of of bitcoins and also with the transaction fees now like i said we can't go into the mining in great depth there's could be hours and hours that we could talk about that but the summary is people are running their computers to create bitcoins right now with bitcoin specifically with bitcoin cash specifically because BTC and BCH and as we'll see, BSV and XCC all come from the same source. They all share those miners, right? So the miners are spread around everywhere and they're various you know, comp- companies and operators and, and whatever. And they have a certain amount of computers and they have to split them up between BTC and BCH and BSV and XCC. So like some other coins, they have a, a, an algorithm that is unique to them. So the miners on their coin are only on their coin. But in Bitcoin, they're spread about amongst the coins. So how do they decide which one they're going to mine? Well, some of them might have an ideal ideology. They might prefer one or the other. But in general, they need to make money to run their computers, right? They need to earn Bitcoins. So what they do is they respond to the market incentives. If the price of BCH goes up against BTC, more miners sort of defect from BTC and they join BCH. 
And the reverse is also true. If BCH is going down, more miners will be shifting away. Now, this is, you know, even though it's not it's not the be all and end all, sort of similar to the way that price is important, but it's not everything. Well, in the same way, mining hash rate is important, but it's not everything. So there's a lot that could be said about that. But in general, attracting more hash rate is good. So rising price brings hash rate, which is good. And it also adds more appearance and I guess more reality, but it's mostly a perception thing of security to the Bitcoin cash chain. So people become more convinced that Bitcoin cash is a well-supported, strong, you know, secure coin with the hash rate rising up. Now that, yeah, we just don't have time to go into all the specifics around that. But in general, that's what's happened. That's why it's quite important that the price, you know, goes up for BCH in the long term. One final point I want to make about the uh, price is that the volatility of Bitcoin Cash and all cryptocurrencies is very, 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 very high. And so everybody who's invested in it, in it everybody who's trading it and using it, they need to be quite aware of it. And uh, as some people sometimes say, you know, you shouldn't invest more than you can afford to lose, right? It's a bit of a disclaimer that Bitcoin Cash or any cryptocurrency is an experiment. It could fail. It could all go away overnight. A crypto, you know, quantum computers could suddenly appear and wreck everything again like i don't actually believe any of that i think that's very unlikely but it is technically a possibility so uh people should act sort of with that in mind and the way i prefer to say it is instead of don't invest more than you can afford to lose i say don't invest more than you understand right so when you don't know much about bitcoin cash or cryptocurrency if it's your first time listening to this podcast don't yolo all your life savings into it no Maybe get a couple dollars, play around with it, figure out what's going on. And then as you learn more and get more comfortable with all of it, then you can adjust your you know, financial allocation accordingly. Now, one thing that people say is, oh, okay, well, Bitcoin uh, crypto volatility is high because it's small. And as it grows bigger, it will get more stable. That's not exactly true. It is true that as the price uh, eventually, once Bitcoin Cash is used everywhere in the world, it will be relatively more stable that that is true like it's small is volatile in the currency markets however volatility is going to actually increase not to decrease as we kind of get there right because as it spreads more and more people jump in at a faster and faster rate and so the price is going to be skyrocketing and then crashing as everybody panics and then rocketing again so volatility is actually going to go up between now and cryptocurrency being at, at global scale. So people sort of think, oh, okay, well, if it gets 20% bigger, it'll be, you know, some percentage, maybe 20% more stable. No, it's the opposite. As it gets bigger, it actually gets more volatile. So uh, we're in for a wild ride and every listener to this show should be aware of and prepared for that. Any thoughts on any of that, Jet? I do. I don't know if it's sound thought, but... Oh, God. So, so maybe this is a long-term cope of my own. But I would say don't look at it as investment at all. I feel like that is a trap that people just get hung up in. Can you use it? Yes or no? If you can't use it, why would you buy it? Like, uh, then it's just investment. And yeah, whatever. Do your own thing. That's when I drop off. Like, I, I can't help you on, uh, on your investment journey. But if you want to learn about how 
Bitcoin Cash works and 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 throw yourself into the space, then yeah, throw your life savings into it. Why not? You'll figure out how to survive. I'm sure we have enough merchant adoption. You could. There's places you can go to get that done. Yes, <laughs> very true, very true. And uh, you know, so sort of in that vein, that's another important thing to understand about cryptocurrency is that. The people in cryptocurrency are very invested. They literally have all their money on the line in terms of making it work. So this is when everybody thinks, oh, crypto is going to fail. It's going to go away. It's going to stop. No, you don't understand. Like you're not, it's not like, oh, we tried this on the weekend, guys. Hope it works out. No, <laughs> everybody who is most keen and involved in cryptocurrency has everything on the line. The skin in the game could not literally not be higher. <laughs> so uh, if you're a bit of a doubter of, oh, is this going to work? Is this going to work? No, we're going to make it work. <laughs> like whatever it takes, cryptocurrency adopters and the Bitcoin Cash community will make it work because there's there's no other option. <laughs> so uh, yeah, that's, that's important to talk about. So why is any of this important? Okay, so what, what are we going to get into before we get into all the details of what is Bitcoin and blah, blah, blah? What what it, What is actually going on here? Why does cryptocurrency exist? Why is everybody so excited about it? Can't people just use whatever money they're using? What is all this anyway? Okay, so again, I'm only going to say it in so many words, but there's a ton more that could be said about this. But fiat currency, government currencies that you may or may not be using <laughs> regularly, are a massive scam, right? There is so much rotten in the financial system, it's unbelievable. Now, people are starting to wake up to this because inflation is rising everywhere in the world and the system of money that we've been on for about a little over the last 100 years with uh, fiat currency, which slowly got depegged away from gold, uh, is now kind of coming to its end, right? So people are familiar with the idea of hyperinflation in places like Zimbabwe or Venezuela or, you know, Lebanon or whatever. And they think, oh, okay, yeah, that's just a thing that happened, you know, to the Germans with their currency, you know, a hundred years ago, or whatever. Like, no, it, it's coming and it's coming in your area very soon, <laughs> right? <laughs> so uh, you do need to be aware of this. It's not just something out of a history book. A lot of people are already obviously being directly impacted today, but that's only going to grow higher and higher and higher. Why? It's built into the system by design, right? This is not an accident. There is more debt created than there is actual money to pay it off, right? So if you've ever thought, why is it that every country in the world is always seems to be in debt? You know, the US is always raising the debt ceiling and some other countries, they're in debt. Who are they all in debt to, right? Like, it's not like there's some country who's just everybody owes their money to like no it does it's not it doesn't all add out to a zero sum everybody is in debt the actual fiat currency itself is created as debt so the way it works is that if uh, I'm a bank and uh, you come to me and you say hey can I have a a loan then I say sure do I take some of my money that I have from somebody else and I, I give it to you as a loan no <laughs> I actually just create it out of nowhere. But not only do I create the, you know, $100 that I'm giving to you as a loan, I'm also not creating the interest. So you need to pay me back, you know, let's say there's 10% interest rate, you need to pay me back $110 from this $100 that I've loaned. Where are you going to get that $10? Well, you have to get it from somebody else who took out a loan, right? So there's even if, if everybody went around and got all the money to pay back all their debts and paid it all back, 
the, the money would not even add up. There would still be more and more debt and there would be no nowhere to get it. So the entire system is a complete scam. And in order to keep this system running, the government just prints more and more and more and more money in this sort of hamster wheel cycle, which devalues the money. That's what you see is inflation. Uh, the price is going up. Is It's not really that the price is going up. It's more that the value of your money is going down, which is why the value of everything goes up. It's not like something's going up and something's going down. No, everything is going up, right? Yeah, in different degrees, except for you know computers and phones, where the rate of improvement is able to outstrip uh, that. But in general, everything is going up, right? Your money is going down. So this entire system is a complete uh, scam. And luckily, cryptocurrency has just provided this like golden parachute to actually escape this, right? So now in the developed world, you also have cash is going extinct. So I have here a news article from just the other day. Westpac unveils major changes to debit cards, including a $100 or a $1,000 withdrawal limit. This is in Australia, right? So in the sort of richer parts of the world, in America, in the UK, in Australia, wherever else uh, it might be, you know, parts of Europe or whatever, cash cash is going extinct. The government is clearly cracking down and trying to remove cash as an option. Now, why do they want to do that? Because they want to track all the purchases and payments and things that you make. They have no concern for the privacy of citizens, the ability to transact voluntarily. No, the incentive of the authoritarians who are in charge of you know the government is to get more power. That's when government always just grows and grows and grows until you know something corrects it and forces it to stop. Now, 10 years ago, or especially 20 years ago, if you said government's going to try and eliminate cash, people would have said, no, that's a conspiracy theory. No, it's not happening, etc. But today, that's just a fact. Everybody agrees. Like, I don't think I've ever met anybody, uh, you know, recently who would say, no, no, that's not happening. No. Everybody agrees cash is going away. Now, some people see it as more of a concerted effort by the government to take that take that away and remove that as an option from the citizens and some people you know just say oh well we're just digitizing so it's just a natural thing that's dying out but one way or another if you have any sort of use or any appreciation for the value of having cash as as an option as a transactional system between willing people you know, <laughs> this is this is quite important. That's why it's Bitcoin Cash. It's quite important to jump on board with this because the movement to sort of bring back physical cash or whatever is is just being crushed. It's just not feasible in an increasingly digitized world. It's obviously not the case that you know physical cash is going to be able to compete with the electronic banking system. Now, in the developing uh, world, you know, more places like you know in Africa or. Southeast Asia or in South America. And it does vary. I'm very aware. I've lived in those places. I'm very aware, you know, that the situation can vary. But places where cash is more prominently used and also the banking infrastructure is less uh, pervasive and less uh, involved in everything that's going on, uh, they have an opportunity to skip past a lot of that and just go straight onto cryptocurrency, right? Cryptocurrency is a better, faster, more efficient, more fair system. So for them, in the same way that everybody knows, oh, okay, in Africa, they just skipped over landlines and they just went straight to mobile phones, right? Because by the time things got rolling, their mobile phone technology was already good enough. You didn't even need to put in landlines and have 
calling people at their house. It was pointless. In the same way, those countries and areas of the world now have the opportunity to just get straight onto cryptocurrency and skip out all the bullshit with banks in the middle. So that's for them where the advantage lies. Now, those are the those are the carrot parts of this equation. The stick part is that CBDCs are coming. CBDCs is central bank digital currencies, which is essentially the evil nightmare version of cryptocurrencies who are the sort of the good guys, right? How do you know we're the good guys? Well, because we are completely voluntary and we don't have any guns. Nobody is coming to arrest you. Nobody is coming to force you to use cryptocurrency. It's your choice. You want to use cryptocurrency, use it. You don't. Well, uh, in the end, you'll probably have to end up using it if everybody else uses it, but uh, nobody, nobody's making it. If you want to trade in gold bars or you want to trade in seashells or you want to trade in fiat currency or CBDCs, that's completely up to you. Nobody in cryptocurrency is going to, going to stop you doing that. Now, the reverse is not necessarily true. If you do want to trade in cryptocurrency, well, perhaps the government isn't going to be so happy and they're going to enforce that ultimately at the point of a gun. So, you know, I'm just making a logical case here good and evil you you make up your own mind who's who's the good guys here now the cbdc's that's obviously taking a little while to get there because fortunately government is in many ways quite incompetent but it is going to happen now i saw some uh, articles just today about the situation in china where they're installing spyware on absolutely everybody's phones so that if you try and use twitter or you try and use cryptocurrency the government gets an alert and they come and fuck you up like <laughs> pronto, you know. So there, it already is the case that they have social credit scores where if you can't, you know, if you if you do something that the government doesn't approve of, then you get kind of downranked in whatever the system is and you your purchasing power is, is cut off. If you are a political dissident, well, suddenly now you can't pay for food, you can't pay for rent. You can't get a plane flight out of the country to go somewhere else. You are just crushed. Your entire life is just switched off the flick of a button from a central authority, you know, via their via their social credit score and via their banking system, which is all connected up to that. So that's that is what is coming. And if you understand how dystopian and horrifying that reality is already today in China, this is not a theory. This is already there. If you want to avoid that spreading to the rest of the world, well, this is the this is the pushback. This is the this is the this is the chance to escape it. So humanity is balancing on a very fine line at the moment in the increasingly globalized world we we live in, where things can tip on the side of as they classically have been of freedom and open markets and innovation and human rights, protection of consumers, or they can turn into an authoritarian mess uh where some central power brokers just control the population unilaterally which is exactly what's already happening in china so if you're listening to this show for the first time the stakes are very very fucking high um so not to be too scary about it we do joke around and have fun on this show but uh at the end of the day crypto is actually a social revolutionary movement more than anything else thoughts on any of that jet not anything in particular, but so, you know, there's a saying in cryptocurrency, don't trust verify. If if you're just like, oh, what are these two idiots talking about on Twitch then or on YouTube or wherever you watch or listen to this podcast, uh, then you can go check out. There's a document that I believe it was either the fract or the 
World Bank or the Federal Reserve put out called uh, Modern Money Mechanics. And they talk about, and this isn't a new document, this is fairly old, but they talk about how for every, like, for every deposit, they can loan out 90% and uh, that's all just new money. It's created out of thin air. And every time that hap- happens, you're devaluing everyone else's currency. So, and yeah, same thing with Project or CBDCs. Check out Project Hamilton. Like, just read the documents. They're very public about this. They don't really care if uh, <laughs> if we're not a fan of it. I think they plan on rolling it out anyway. Yeah, exactly. So it's kind of... I mean, you don't you don't have to join cryptocurrency again, but uh, you know we're we're the ones sort of trying to stand up for individual rights and stuff. And it's one it's like that saying, you know, first they came for the the communists or whatever it was. Like, well, you know, first they came for the cryptocurrency advocates, and at the end, if if you're not sympathetic or supporting it, then sooner or later they're gonna they're gonna come for you too, and you're gonna just go, wow, my spending is being restricted in ways that I don't appreciate or wow my money has all devalued away to nothing and i had no way to protect it of course inflation is a tax on the on the lower classes you know the rich uh are able to have assets and tax advisors and all kinds of stuff to keep their money secure you know they're closer to the center of power and so the inflation for them it's it's fine you know the richest one percent and that's why we've been seeing increasing global inequality it's really as as fundamental as that the entire system uh is biased in that direction right so cryptocurrency is an is an attempt to sort of level the playing field again in that way and what's the real alternative like we know that we can't use metals we already discovered that like i i feel like you can't use something that people can physically confiscate because they will. So if you're not, if you see this as a problem and you go, well, I still don't trust cryptocurrency, what's the solution? What else do you have to offer? Yeah, metals is probably not going to do it. It's just not feasible in the modern world with online communication, right? People are going to be trading online. That's a huge and growing ever faster industry, right? Your gold is not going to get you very far because you're going to have to put it in a custodian. You're going to have to put it in somebody who controls the vault and then you're right back to where we started. So, yeah, like if if there was maybe, you know, <laughs> this is not this is not true. I don't believe this in the slides, but maybe this for some people, this is a way of looking at it, which is that cryptocurrency is the worst option except for everything else. Right. Now, that's not true. Cryptocurrency is actually an amazing option. <laughs> but uh, for people who don't like it or have objections, maybe that's one way they can think about it. Okay. Begrudgingly so, accepted. Yeah. Well, ho- hopefully, you know, they've come to love it, right? <laughs> uh, okay. So, Bitcoin Cash podcast, what are we doing here? Today, uh, the show's been running for about two and a half years, approximately. Started in January 2021. We tend to do about three episodes a month, like I said, about, about two hours. And the tagline of the show, since the second show, although I talked about this idea on the first show, but I didn't have it phrased uh, this way is following Bitcoin Cash on its rise to global reserve currency. So what do I mean by that? So Bitcoin Cash, in my opinion, uh, and for very good reason, I would say, is going to be the global reserve currency. Everybody in the world is going to use Bitcoin Cash as their currency. So some people who are into the crypto scene a bit, especially the BTC side, they might have heard this phrase, hyper-Bitcoinization, which is supposedly the opposite of hyperinflation. Well, that's that's what we're talking about. I just uh, don't use that word. I pr- prefer to say global reserve currency. So Bitcoin Cash will be the most used currency in the entire world. Six billion plus people 
will be able to make, you know, five payments per day, all using Bitcoin Cash, all on chain, consumer spending, government spending, corporations, charities, everybody that will just use Bitcoin Cash as their currency to transact. It's really that simple. There'll obviously be further. It's more than that. It's not literally just that. There will also be obviously automated payments. We're seeing the rise in AI. There's DeFi, which is decentralized finance. That's a whole nother rabbit hole. We're not going to get into right now. Bitcoin Cash is cash tokens, all of this stuff. All of that will be going on as well. Fiat currency, what you know as government money will all be destroyed. That will be a historical relic. Nobody is going to use that. And you know, hopefully CBDCs along with it because the market will have just adopted uh, Bitcoin Cash in the ideal, inevitable case, hopefully. And uh, other cryptocurrencies and gold and so on will still be around, right? I'm not saying that there's going to be literally no other option, but Bitcoin Cash will be by far the king in a sort of Pareto distribution, 80% maybe of global trade will happen with Bitcoin Cash and then maybe 20% spread between a few other cryptocurrencies maybe gold, you know, commodity trade in oil, that kind of thing. So that's what you can think of as not only the mission of this podcast, uh, and by listening to the show, you're buying into and hopefully contributing to that. But the whole Bitcoin Cash community is essentially working for this mission. And it was the original mission of, of Bitcoin, right? It was not explained in these exact ways. But when it was first launched, and the reason everybody got so excited about Bitcoin, which we'll talk about, was because this was kind of the game plan, right? Uh, and that was in 2008, uh, 2009, long before all this stuff with CBDCs and so on uh, started. But it was at the time of the uh, global financial crisis, the what's it called the GFC, Great Financial Crisis, and the bank meltdowns, the subprime mortgage collapse and all that, which was a similar, you know, level of disaster, or at least that was one <laughs> collapse of the banking system that could have been much, much worse. That was sort of the system as it is somewhat coming to an end, but they found a way to kick the can down the road. And here we are 15 years later, and the can kicking is is really starting to run out of ground. So all of cryptocurrency, you know, is sort of promoting that they're going to you know, be the new transactional system in one sense or another. But Bitcoin Cash podcast is here for Bitcoin Cash to be used by everybody in the world. Thoughts on that, Jen? I will say my approach is a little different. Like, I think this is the end goal, but I don't think it's my end goal. My end goal is just to be able to completely live up Bitcoin, which I think I won't be able to do until we hit something like this. But I think more like, yes, this might be the end goal, like collectively, but individuals should not feel the burden of, oh, we're going to make this global reserve currency. What what difference can you make in your own community and work on that? Although yeah, I am okay. curious. Well, well I, I feel that burden. I, I feel like <laughs> this is it. It's all or nothing. Humanity rides on this. Uh, you know, that's how I keep myself motivated in part. That's why I love it so much. But you're, you're right that there is, people need to think of it in terms of individual. It's a grassroots, it's a bottom up thing. So it's not like, I mean, if you are mates with uh, Janet Yellen or whatever, well, then go and shill Bitcoin Cash to her. Also, but... Jeremy, you're built different. Like, <laughs> like I don't think I've ever seen a lick of pessimism or cynicism in you whatsoever. Uh, and I think most people, 
if they were like, oh, I now have my own problem plus five billion other people's problems, <laughs> they wouldn't. It's too much. <laughs> no, no. It's all good. The, the point is, you know, it, it comes together as an organic collective, right? If everybody wins the battle of just talking to their friend, just educating. So that's how cryptocurrency has grown. I think everybody will be familiar with that, you know, that... To the, whether they liked it or disliked it or whatever, they heard about it and they heard about it again and then they heard about it from someone different and then their one crazy friend became their three crazy <laughs> friends and then they saw crypto on the news a, a fourth time and then this and, and it's all kind of speeding up and all happening and they'd be confused about it, right? And But over time, it sort of seemed to have become a bit more legitimate, like it started out quite scammy, but it's sort of making sense. People, people are familiar with this process. Everybody is, understands this, you know, because they experience it in their, in their daily lives so it's just it's and it's not something that can be avoided either as well too like cryptocurrency is here it's not going away and just like any other technology you know the first people there's a great scene in Mad Men for anybody who's a fan of that show where they they bring a mainframe computer into the office and everybody's suddenly like holy crap I think it's uh in the you know in the episodes where it's getting into the 1970s or something like that and everybody's just like wow we're being invaded you know here's the computers like this is the this is the future and the sort of varying reactions. Some people are excited, some people are confused, some people are scared. You know, uh, everybody's uncertain about what's going to happen. What's well, the same with cryptocurrency? It's here. It's not going away. So it's really more about understanding and being educated and uh, aware of what's happening rather than trying to ignore it or block it out. Because I I mean, you can do that. Anybody's welcome to stick their head in the sand. But what you'll find is that reality is just going to run straight over your attempts to do so at a faster and faster rate. So kind of better to be in the game if you know what i'm saying do so on this last point this um 80 20 rule is that something that currently like if we were to look at fiat currencies is is that the case do we have like well, the us dollar or the yen doing well yeah it is like it was it's a long tail of currencies right so it starts with the us dollar is obviously way bigger than like the euro i don't know what the precise numbers are but it's a power law distribution right the US dollar is by far and away the biggest, way bigger than the euro, which is then way bigger than whatever the next one is after that, the yen and then the Swiss franc and then the, I don't know, the Australian dollar or whatever it is, you know, oh, the yuan is probably in there and the ruble, right? So whatever it is, it's like a tail distribution that then goes down to some tiniest little currencies at the end. Now, there's a key difference here, which is worth mentioning, that the US dollar and so on, it's still massive and everything. But it exists in a world where political boundaries prevent sort of centralization in the sense that the, the US dollar gets to a certain size that the rest of the country say no. <laughs> like the China is not going to adopt the US dollar as its one and only currency, right? Neither is Russia. That's just geopolitically impossible. Right. So it, it hits a barrier that in Bitcoin Cash, when it's taking over the world, it's not going to be like that because it's that's the whole point of it. It's neutral. Nobody is in charge of Bitcoin Cash and everybody is bought into the system. So Bitcoin Cash will be able to get to a larger size than what we currently perceive as the global reserve currency in the US dollar. I never really bothered, but I, I definitely, I think I should go back and learn more about how gold was used. Because I know about how it was used in the States, but that's my only frame of reference for using uh, gold as money. Uh, I'm curious, like, did gold kind of fall off as money just because the US... Uh, and I understand this isn't really in the scope of this podcast, so we can skip this for now. But interesting questions. I definitely uh, 
if you have, if anyone in the chat even has recommendations on like thing I could look into to read about that, then yeah, well, gold was always uh, gonna you know fall out just because of the fact that paper notes were so convenient, right? Even long before Bretton Woods and all that. Yeah, let's not do a whole let's not yeah. tangent into yeah, yeah. but maybe we can do that in another episode with a you know a gold gold expert or a monetary expert or something like that. Okay, so I've got a slide here which says fair warning: global reserve currency is inevitable. In, in capital letters. So kind of what we were just were already talking about, at least according to me, and everybody's free to have their own opinion, but this is essentially inevitable. We are going to just run over all opposition. There's there's just no way around it, right? The technology is too powerful and too useful for it to go any other way. Everything that can possibly have been tried to stop cryptocurrency and especially Bitcoin Cash individually kind of already has been and none of it has worked whatever you have heard in your own life that oh it's gonna go away it's a scam i'm an economist and it's not gonna work out people are not gonna be able to use it the government's gonna uh, ban it or stop it or switch off the servers or all these ponzi schemers will lose all their money or whatever any argument under the sun like has it stopped cryptocurrency no cryptocurrency is bigger and better every year yes there's a lot of crashes and volatility and scams there's tons of that but regardless the core of it keeps marching forward and getting better and better and better there's no doubt about that right so in that sense if you just simply extrapolate that are there more people today than yesterday that know about transacting uh, interested in cryptocurrency the answer is yes right there's more people today than yesterday and that was the, true the day before and the day before and the day before and so if you just go back in time that's how it's always worked and i don't see anything that stops that happening until everybody has just adopted cryptocurrency. And as I said, it goes at a faster and faster rate. So volatility will actually increase rather than decrease. So Bitcoin is totally voluntary. Like I said, there's no military. Nobody shows up at your house. But from my perspective, at least listening to this show, you need to understand that you are in the position of it's now or later. There is no now or never. No, <laughs> it's now or later. And the earlier you at least become aware of it and interested and involved to some degree, the better. If you want to stick your head in the sand or ignore it, that's fine. Nobody's upset about that, but you really are only hurting yourself. So that's uh, quite unfortunate. Now people say, isn't this a bad thing? Like that the earlier people get in and that's better for them. Well, it's, it's the same as any other technology. It's the same as the internet. If you were born today and you missed out on, in quotation marks, the first 50 years or whatever of the internet, is the internet a bad thing? No, it's still better for you to join the internet. It's never too late. You never miss out. In fact, if you join the internet today, there's all kinds of products and services and websites and tech and all this stuff that's amazing that previous joiners of the internet wished they'd had back then. You know, So actually, it's the same way. Is it too late to join cryptocurrency or is it? am I at the end of it? No. The very last person to join cryptocurrency in the world still benefits from joining because there'll be so much economy and so many tools and so many services and all that stuff. They benefit less than if they'd got in earlier, but they, everybody still benefits. Like economic growth is is beneficial to to everyone. Uh, so I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, Jet, do you have any sort of take on that? How do you, like, it's a tough thing, right, to explain or to communicate to people. Like, this, this is coming. You cannot ignore this. And it's a hard thing to say without... I don't know, without seeming like some kind of crazy zealot. Yeah. Okay. So to make it a little more normie friendly, I guess we can have. I'm this... just saying, how do you do it when you when you're talking to people, you know, for the first time about crypto somewhere at the bar, whatever. 
Oh, so I don't really use the phrase global reserve currency, but the people that I'm talking to, I don't think would really understand what the hell that that means. Um, I think I just try to package it up as like, it's just money. If Listen, if you can use it as money and they can use it as money, what are we even doing this fiat thing for? And it's like yes. just a little... Uh, yeah, I, I try to do less big picture stuff. I think, I don't know, man, this is interesting to hear, like, and I never really considered this before. You do a lot of, like, big picture abstraction, uh, and I think now we're kind of in, you know, the choir, so to speak, but people seem receptive to it, and then I'll do really small picture, like, no, it's just money. I'll give you $10. You can use it at these places and whatever. And in a year, I'll be like, I'll get another message. It's like, oh, are you invested in this? <laughs> so maybe I need to switch up my uh, my approach. Well, it's true that the the reason I don't tend to focus on. OK, so this is another thing that all the listeners and new adopters can understand. There's as as you become part of the Bitcoin Cash community and as you learn how to you know have these conversations and discuss with people, there's always the two elements that I try and hit on it. So one, like you're saying, is very pragmatic. When if you've ever seen somebody onboarded to Bitcoin Cash, or perhaps you were onboarded by somebody in the Bitcoin Cash community yourself, what they will often do is they'll say, hey, do you have your phone? Do you, look here, download a wallet. Let me send you $1. And you can see that it's instant and fast and cool. And you didn't have to type in any registration details, so on and so forth, right? So I always, when when people say, I'm talking to people, you know, and they find out I do the podcast or somebody says, this is my friend, you know, Jeremy, he's into Bitcoin or something like that, then... I always say, hey, do you like one of my first questions is usually, hey, do you, do you have any Bitcoin? What do you know about cryptocurrency? And people often say, no, I don't. And then I say, do you want some? And then sometimes they say, yeah, sure, I'll try it out. And sometimes they say, no, I don't know. I don't really get it. But either way, I at least try or create the opportunity to, to demonstrate it to them. Because you obviously, like I said, you don't force anybody. I'm never forcing anybody to give, you know, if they say, no, I'm cool. Then I say, all right, fair enough. Uh, and we just we just talk about it a bit, right? But in most cases, where possible, and people are increasingly receptive. So you can imagine, <laughs> side side tangent. But as a 2013 adopter, this process has been getting easier and easier and easier. Was fighting a fucking uphill battle. Let me tell you, in 2013, trying to tell people about uh, cryptocurrency, but it's constantly getting easier. Um, Did you have that's another thing? Have you had people where you're like, what, like, do you know about cryptocurrency? And they say yes. And then when you hear them talk, you're like, what? <laughs> yes and no, not not so much of that. I have an encounter. I know some people say that they find that a lot. So I don't know, maybe some people are just in some areas with people lacking self-awareness who are very confident in their, you know, their the last. Right? Maybe, may, maybe more in America or somewhere. I don't know. In the, Certainly in the UK and in Australia, people are quite self-aware. Like, I don't, I don't know, you know, kind of thing. Or they'll play it safe. Even if they do know quite a bit, they'll say, Oh no, I don't, and sort of feel you out a little bit. I've I found that uh, certainly the most thing was at meetups where there'll be a couple of people who are just like mad shilling some coin, and then when it kind of falls apart because maybe in a room of ten people they're like the second or third most knowledgeable, so they start spouting off, and they can see that the five or six least knowledgeable are kind of like eh, it seems like this guy's got <laughs> got a good point, but then you know once the more knowledgeable people start talking to them then the cracks start to appear and they kind of get in a bit of a mess and then they usually either get like angry because they their emotions are high like i'm getting called out and wrecked or they just quietly start to just shut up and <laughs> and listen uh that i i've seen that definitely 
Yeah, the last like general member of the public that I spoke to in person about cryptocurrency. I'm pretty sure this person was either like under the influence or maybe not all mental sound. Um, because at some point in the conversation, they brought up that they thought that they might have some coins just like available for them, like someone gifted them. And I was like, okay, well, what's the context here? Like, if you if you have the seed phrase, you can get those coins and you can do whatever you want. And over the next like hour and a half, which this was a conversation I didn't want to be a part of, first off, keep in mind. But over the next hour and a half, I came to discover that this guy thought that somehow Satoshi's disappearance was directly connected to him and that he had all these coins on all these different chains to claim. And uh, that that whole experience was so exhausting that I was like, oh, I don't ever want to. <laughs> I mean, we, this was around a Bitcoin ATM, so it kind of makes sense. Like, that's the person that would pay 20% markup, you know, but yikes. <laughs> well, uh, there's going to be a lot of clueless people in the world and certainly... That's another thing that listeners to this show will discover <laughs> is that you you need you it's it's almost like a I mean obviously it's a life skill to be able to talk to people and suss out what they're thinking and so on and so forth right but you end up in all kinds of weird conversations and discussions because even though this knowledge about what Bitcoin is what what crypto is how it works and stuff it will become standard right some people say oh, look, my grandma's never going to use this. Now, that is nonsense, right? Okay, because at least my grandmother, she uses Facebook and she uses email and all those things. Was she there on day one signing up? No, of course not. But once they've been around five, 10 years, once they've been enough UI development, once things have become easy and simple enough, and once a few of the people who were really old had unfortunately just passed away and a new generation had come along, then people learn to adapt and use this new technology. So thinking my grandmother is never going to use that. Yes, she is. Or if not, your parents are, right? It's yeah. going to happen. So it might take a little while and it might only be at the very shallow basic level, but everybody is going to get this information. You know, oh, they're never going to use the internet. Well, of course, now you just go in, you type in a word in the search box and being up pops your results. Now, it didn't start out that easy. That's how easy it is now. And it's easy enough and valuable enough that everybody can understand how to be involved, right? Yeah, it'll be interesting to see those pain points kind of uh, be brought more to the surface. Like, I th I, th I still think NFC payments is going to be massive, Huge. and uh, yeah. no one has really touched that. I yeah. eagerly await the day. <laughs> and that's, a, that's worth touching on, too, just the fact that... So the Bitcoin and the crypto and the Bitcoin Cash community are doing what we can, guys, so... You know, you have people sometimes who are like, well, why, why don't you have this? Why don't you have that? Why? Well, because this is an entirely voluntarily self-funded revolution that we're doing just as we're doing the best we can, <laughs> doing the best we can. So it's not perfect. I know there's a lot of problems and all of that, but we, we, we really are doing, you know, what, what, what we can here. So just bear, bear with us. All right. Kim.com first time chat. I don't know if that's the real Kim, but if it is, Hey Kim, I saw you to my uh discussion with vitalik good to good to see you here right so uh is global reserve currency feasible now that's something okay it is <laughs> good to good to see you mate uh is global reserve currency feasible people ask about this and the answer is yes again we're not can't really go into all the specifics but just take it on faith a little bit that Bitcoin Cash can be the money for billions of people trading every single day 
like I have described. Now, there's three pillars to this. Again, we're not going to go into all the details, but just summarize. Technically, people say, okay, physically, is this going to work, right? Well, obviously, everybody understands that the internet is operating pretty well at global scale. And they might think, especially if they're from a different cryptocurrency, they've got some misconceptions. Oh, no, but there's the blockchain trilemma. This is going to run into problems, so on and so forth. Well, it, it isn't, right? There's There are various problems in various different cryptocurrencies, but Bitcoin itself, uh, Bitcoin Cash, is designed to work at global scale. And there's a quote from Satoshi Nakamoto that is often brought up where the first question he was asked was, how is this going to scale? How are we going to onboard all these different people? And he said, look, it's going to be fine, right? We're going to be able to onboard tons of people, more people than the current Visa network using today's hardware in 2008, and it'll be it'll be fine. Don't worry about it. And that wasn't just like a dismissive thing. The engineering does actually check out, right? Bitcoin is designed so that uh, you can have massive parallel throughput of transactions. It's called embarrassingly parallel is the technical computer science term for it. Uh, but, you know, like today we have multi-core computers that can process a bunch of stuff at once and computers and hardware are getting better and better all the time. Software is also getting better and better all the time. Although yeah, that is getting... arguable because of yeah. hardware improvements, some software has gotten worse. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Okay. But anyway, the fundamental idea is uh, Bitcoin is designed to scale. Software is getting better. Hardware is getting better. Internet speeds are getting better. More and more people are connected. There's more and more innovation and more and more resources going into this all the time. Can we make it work at a technical level? Yes. It's not going to be easy, but it's definitely feasible. Okay. Socially, can this work at a global scale? Will everybody accept that Bitcoin Cash is going to be the global reserve currency? And the answer is yes. Okay. So the first thing is, who's going to stop it, right? Like we've seen governments, regulators, doubters, whiners, haters, whatever. They, they've done their worst. It, it hasn't stopped it. And in fact, crypto just marches forward through absolutely everything. Banks can't shut it off. If they could, they would. They haven't. So in that sense, who's going to stop it? But the second thing is that the vast majority of people who have doubts or are skeptical or not sure what's going on, that's all solvable by essentially just education and, and time. And I'm sure most listeners to this show will be familiar with that, no matter what their initial position on cryptocurrency they will have seen in themselves and in other people around them more and more interest more and more willingness and open-mindedness more experimenting with it less fear less uncertainty less doubt that it's all scam. yeah some people are still in that phase right and will be going forward as well but over time as we already explained your grandmother is going to get get involved in it right and there's a sort of social acceptability tipping point which we're already kind of past essentially uh but will accelerate that this is just the way things are done now so get with the times right and that kind of takes care of the the social element finally you've got economically people wonder is this all feasible there's a lot of sort of fud uh which is what the cryptocurrency communities call fear uncertainty and doubt which is essentially the many and varied complaints that uneducated or malicious actors bring up to try and deter cryptocurrency adoption. And one of them is, of course, the classic economist argument that a deflationary currency is bad. If it has a fixed supply, it's not going to work. I don't know what, what all the different variations are there, but they have a bunch of reasons, sort of nonsense hocus pocus that it can't work. And the simple answer is it can work because it has been working. And like, you can have all the theory. It's like people trying to tell the Wright brothers that their plane couldn't fly. Like, 
okay, you can have all the arguments and theories and ideas you want, but you just look at it. We've got a running system and it works and people use it. So the engineering just proves you wrong. Um, and I don't know at what point they expect it's going to stop working, but uh, the reality is that it will keep growing and it won't, it won't stop working. So uh, if you are big on economics and all that kind of stuff and you have some objection or some reasons that it can't work, well, at the very least, just reconsider a little bit and think maybe is there something new and different here? And in fact, it should be quite exciting because there's actually a brand new field of economics and uh, ideas and theories being tested out and proven in the marketplace that are updating our understanding of economics. Now, some classical economists, you know, sort of predicted cryptocurrency and said that we would have something like this and that it would be a more ideal system and, and some didn't. So you can look into all of that if you're interested in it. But is this going to be a problem economically? No. And one thing also people are regularly confused about is they say, well, there's only 21 million coins. We're going to run out. No, we're not. Uh, because the entire world could operate on one Bitcoin with no problem because it's infinitely divisible. So as time goes on, as it spreads out to more and more and more people, well, you just deal in smaller and smaller and smaller increments, you know. Uh, it's kind of the opposite in people are used to, oh, okay, my 10 cent coin used to be worth a lot of money, but now I need a $1 coin to, you know, donate to this charity thing. And then in the future, it'll be $10 because inflation is wrecking. It's just the opposite of that. Instead, it's like, oh, my $1 coin used to be, you know, quite a lot of money. Now it's a tons of money. Now my 10 cent coin is a lot of money equivalent, right? In uh, Satoshi's, the smallest unit of Bitcoin cash. So um, yeah, you don't really need to worry about that. So what what it actually is money? Oh, go on. Do you... What do you think is the order? Because I think, I mean, technically has to happen first. But then I think any social issues that might come up will be answered if the economic is right like as the price increases all these like cultists are just still going to be like well i want in on that and i know you've mentioned this a bunch of times before but i think just historically okay we have it technically then we have the intolerant minority then we start having some price movements and then that answers the other social issues right exactly well that's and that's right so uh, as we yeah kind of touched on like cryptocurrency is totally voluntary but almost everybody is going to be compelled to join just because the economic cost of not being involved is going to be so high. And that's how it's always worked, right? Now, cryptocurrency is a very profitable market because it's an amazing technology. And the more people get in, the more network effect there is and the higher the cost is of not being involved in the same way that ignoring the internet in the early days was good. But if you're still here now saying, I don't want to use uh, online messages, like the world has just moved past, you're just wrecked. And nothing is more like that than money. If all my money is just wrecked because I'm still being a complaining boomer, like like tough. You're just at some point the cost of the literal financial cost of not being involved, the opportunity cost is so high that you just have to convert. So anybody who doesn't like it is going to get with the program for those reasons, pretty much. Okay, so what is money? So this is also where everybody is very confused about because quite deliberately, your school and your economics class and so forth probably didn't tell you any <laughs> any of this. But money is, people often say it's got three functions, but the key one is that it's a medium of exchange. It's a system of transferring value between people in a society, right? So in fact, you can even have money that doesn't exist, right? If uh, Jet and I make a deal that uh, you know, I'm going to pay him back for this certain beer. Well, then that's that's money that only exists in our heads, right? Because he and I will agree that next time I'll pay for the beer or whatever it is, right? 
So uh, the key thing is that it, it's a system that facilitates exchange. Now, it does also have to be a store of value in the sense that you don't want your money to completely degrade in value over time because you're not going to spend all your money today. You're going to need some of it later. So it does have an element of that. But if you can't trade it to anybody, it's it's useless. Um, and a unit of account is just how we think of things. So that we talked about the price, right? Uh, what price is BTC? What price is ETH? What price is USD? All against BCH. So I'm you know, moving the world to a system of BCH as the unit of account. But for whatever currency people think of in right now, uh, whether it's pounds or dollars or maybe a cryptocurrency or in gold bars, if they're a gold bug, that that same uh, concept applies. Now, barter is really inconvenient, right? So trading two cows for you know half a uh, half a horse or whatever is not going to work out in the long run. So human societies pretty collectively and naturally centralize, or, or they all agree, uh, come to consensus on what is the best thing to trade around. The most because even if Jet and I can do a de do a deal about these beers, I'm not going to have much luck doing that with random people on the street who don't trust me and have no ongoing relationship. So we need some universal system within a society. Now that that could be anything in theory, but uh, history has shown that there's six very important properties that you need to have in your money. So the first one is scarcity, uh, which and I, for each of these, I've given a re. Uh, thing that you couldn't use as money or would be bad to use for this reason. So the first one is scarcity. If your money, it doesn't matter how much money there is, but it has to have a limit because if there's unlimited amounts of it, so like grains of sand or blades of grass or whatever, then it's going to be worthless, right? Supply and demand. The demand for something has to be limited. And if there's an unlimited amount of money or like hyperinflation, if you give everybody millions and millions of dollars, does that make money worth more? No, it just makes money worth less because the amount of stuff to buy is the same. You've just created a lot of pointless money. So there has to be a limit uh, for people to trust it all have, have value. Okay, money needs to be portable, which is that concrete bricks are a terrible form of money because how am I going to carry it around everywhere, right? I need to go somewhere, I need to pay for something, and then I need to go somewhere else and pay for something. So the more portable it is, the better. That's why banking cards are so popular now because you can have an unlimited amount of money on your bank card and it's very easy to carry around with you. And even before that, like paper notes, still pretty easy to carry around, right? So got to be portable, durable. It has to last. That's why metal coins are used also because they're associated with precious metals, but uh, because they're resilient, you know, you can drop them around, they can get rained on or whatever. That's fine. If you were using bananas, your money would just rot away. And that would suck. You wouldn't be able to store any value in it if it was rotting. So your money has to be lasting through time. Now, in the case of cryptocurrency, that's quite convenient because it's it's immortal, right? It never degrades. It's perfectly there the whole <laughs> the whole time as long as uh, the servers, you know, nodes stay on. So uh, it's good in that sense. All right, it has to be fungible, which is that you can't use Van Gogh paintings as money because this Van Gogh painting and that Van Gogh painting or this Da Vinci painting are all completely different. So it's not like, you know, a dollar is a dollar is a dollar. Like every painting has a completely different value. So your money all needs to be interchangeable, that any money is as good as any other money. So yeah, that's that's key. That's why fiat currency is good. It's why Bitcoin is good, although not perfect in that regard, but it's good enough. Money needs to be divisible. You can't use live cows because chopping them up and redistributing them is a pain, right? Uh, if I'm going to 
pay you and you're going to give me change, we need a way to separate up our money into smaller amounts. And then when I aggregate it all together at my shop, I need to have a, a, a bigger amount. So we need to be able to pay and make change. So your money has to be divisible. Finally, the sixth property, it needs to be recognizable. So you can't have counterfeiting. Uh, this kind of cuts to the same argument as scarcity, which is that if I can give you something and convince you that it's money, but it's not, then uh, as a scammer, I now have infinite money because I can just go around and send the whole currency into hyperinflation, right? So if we were using monopoly money that anybody could just print out on their printer and you wouldn't be able to tell whether it was real or fake uh, monopoly money, then everybody would just instantly go and print enough of it. So there needs to be like recognizable. And this was a problem with gold in the sense that if I, I can just, you know, make a fake gold coin where the middle is not gold and it's a super hard, <laughs> super hard to figure out whether I'm getting a real gold or I'm getting a, a fake fake gold coin, right? So uh, that's 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 the six properties. Scarcity, portability, durability, fungibility, divisibility, and recognizability. You've been laughing away there, Jet, man. It's distracting me. <laughs> What's so funny? Okay, so this entire time, I've just been thinking the reason that bananas really wouldn't work as money <laughs> is because then dads all over the world wouldn't be able to say, money doesn't grow on trees, and they just can't let that happen. So I'm just giggling to myself like an idiot imagining this dad essentially like in all conspiracy the dad conspiracy to prevent bananas being money well using all of these things just like i could see dads actually trying live cows but wouldn't be very practical no no, i could enjoy it you know would be like people have traded cattle like barter right but in general uh people get onto these uh things yeah you can buy a cup of coffee with a part of a cow I guess you could if you just, I don't know, lopped off a hoof or whatever, but then it wouldn't be very useful to you anymore, you know? Um, Right. So what is Bitcoin? That's what money is. So what is Bitcoin? So Bitcoin is the best version of money. So it's a peer-to-peer electronic cash system. And Satoshi Nakamoto created this and wrote in the white paper, which he released in 2008, Bitcoin, a peer-to-peer electronic cash system. A purely peer-to-peer version of electronic cash would allow online payments to be sent directly from one party to another without going through a financial institution. Digital signatures provide part of the solution, but the main benefits are lost if a trusted third party is still required to prevent double spending. So the main point of it is that it's the best form of money because it's like cash, which everybody knows is amazing money, but you can send it over the internet. And the part about digital signatures is essentially saying we need a way to keep scarcity to keep a limit without having a bank because that's the way your online banking works is that you have a limit, but who enforces the limit? Well, the bank does. So that's fine until the bank wants to censor you or you want to trade from one country to another and the bank puts in huge fees. Well, Bitcoin gets around all of that because it's a digital money, but there is no bank involved. So when we look at the properties of money, scarcity, 21 million, and that's a fixed limit and you can't have more than that. So it doesn't matter what it is, but it just imagines it's an unbreakable limit of 21 million. Portable, it's instant, worldwide, and nearly free. Perfect. That's You can't get much more portable than that in any amount as well too. $1, one cent, $10 million, all the same. Instant, worldwide, nearly free. Durable, uh, yeah, it's indestructible uh, as long as you know the nodes stay online. So in that sense, uh, it's good, but it's like a bank, except you've got redundancy. You know, you've got all everywhere in the world rather than just one bank. And if their servers shut off, you're fucked. No, you've got that everywhere. Fungible. This is the weakest 
point that Bitcoin has. It's not. It's actually possible to separate uh, individual units of uh, Bitcoin, uh, like we've seen recently with ordinals. For people who are familiar with all of that, uh, but it's it's good enough, right? In practice, when you're using it as money, it doesn't tend to be a problem, and it has some huge upsides in terms of NFTs and cash tokens and all that kind of stuff. So. This is the weakest area, but it's not a critical weakness. Uh, and then divisibility, okay, it's you can infinitely divide it like we talked about, so you never have a problem with that. It's just numbers in a computer. You can just chop it up as much as you want. And recognizability, ultra strong on that. It's impossible to fake a Bitcoin, essentially. Now, people do, like they uh, have a, an exchange and they say, we've got 10,000 Bitcoins. And then <laughs> what do you know? It's a scam and FTX collapses. You don't have that many Bitcoins like you're a scammer, right? So then people get rugged and they realize they have a fake Bitcoin. But if you have an actual Bitcoin wallet that connects to the network, you never have to worry that you're getting a fake Bitcoin. It's it's impossible. So the key is getting onto those uh, real wallets. And once you're onto that, you're never going to have a problem. Like, I'm never like, mm, let me see if this Bitcoin is a real one. Like, no, it's a real one. I showed up. If it wasn't real, it wouldn't even show up in my wallet. It would just straight out reject it. So you, you never ever have a problem with that. Okay, so we got self custody. So this is the number one practical tip that you need to know about cryptocurrency. If you get this right, everything else you can learn or make small mistakes. So not your keys, not your coins. Andreas Antonopoulos, 2013, still as brilliant as ever. All of your cryptocurrency money is stored on your addresses, which live on the blockchain. Now, I don't want to go into the whole detail of how all of that works uh, right now. But the main thing to understand is you will have a seed phrase, which is usually like 12 words or sometimes 24 words, or you can have an individual private key, but most people are going to have uh, 12 words. And that essentially is your money. If you have that 12 words, that information, you can retrieve your money. It's automatically backed up across all the network. So it can't be lost, can't be gone anywhere, nothing like that. But if somebody else has access to those 12 words, those your private keys, they can take all of your money. So it's as simple as that. Not your keys, not your coins. If you give someone else your keys, then they will take all your money. And that doesn't matter whether it's Binance or FTX, Coinbase, whoever has your keys, they can take your money or your friend, whatever it is. So the number one thing you need to get right is to figure out uh, these words in your wallet and then back them up and store them securely. Again, I don't want to go into all the details of, of how you should or shouldn't do that or whatever right now, but uh, you can essentially just write them down on a piece of paper in you know a couple places and store them somewhere securely the same way you store your passport or whatever your valuable documents. People are usually quite good about that. Well, you can probably do the same with at least a moderate amount of cryptocurrency. Now, the value of a cryptocurrency and a blockchain is that it guarantees the amount of money on the blockchain, it does not guarantee anything else. Okay. So custodian funds, like we talked about, banks, exchanges, Binance, Coinbase, your mate's house, like whatever, that gives you no protection. You are completely unprotected if that's what you've done with your cryptocurrency. You have to have your own keys in your own possession. That's critical. It also means that any kind of like, we're going to have crypto. But with gold, you know, it will be like Peter Schiff's talking about this. What about if we have a gold-backed crypto? Nonsense. Absolutely nonsense. The blockchain can't do anything about gold moving around in the real world. So then you're going to have a custodian and you're right back to where you started with a bank, with an exchange, finance, or Peter Schiff's holdyourgold.com. Like 
no no so it has to be only your crypto is being stored in these keys and if somebody's trying to sell you any other crap about that just ignore it if you ignore this warning what we put in this slide very specifically you will get rugged which is what the crypto community says when you get your money stolen it is a guarantee i can almost promise it you know like mount gox ftx celsius voyager in crypto is famous famous for the number of scams and problems and issues it is inevitable if you give somebody else your crypto they will take it 100 percent of the time it's not a matter of if just a matter of when so you're gonna have to hold your own cryptocurrency oh my grandmother isn't going to be able to do that yes she is she can look after her jewelry well, she can look after her cryptocurrency, okay? It's just the new world we're in now. All right, so I've got it. Anything you want to say about any of that, yet? Okay, nothing. All right. Okay, scams and problems. Now, this is something I wanted to adjust quickly here. People have a lot of problems with cryptocurrency. There's exchanges that go bust and scams and all that galore. There's also drug markets. There's ransomware. There's all kinds of stuff that people have all kinds of objections to. Isn't this bad? Blah, 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 blah. Chat says, BitConnect. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. There's all kinds of nonsense that goes in cryptocurrency. Now, I'm not apologizing for that. It's terrible. I agree. That's horrible. I'm not happy. Nobody's happy that any of that happened. But like we've said before, crypto is coming regardless. And the reason that there are people who are demanding crypto for ransomware is because it's valuable. Now, every kind of technology, every kind of different thing whether it's running water or the internet or tennis shoes, well, hackers and scammers and drug dealers and terrorists and you know criminals or whatever are all going to use that stuff. That's why, because it's just stuff like things that are useful to people are useful to bad actors. And that's true of everything. So cryptocurrency falls exactly in that bucket. There is a lot of problems and issues and we do our best, uh, but it's like I said, it's, it's, it's the best best we can to prevent and stop that and all that is going to go on so you kind of just need to be educated it's just that's the only way out of any of this now the upside of all of this you know problems and issues with cryptocurrency is that we have genuinely built an inflation-free sound money a transparent equitable financial system completely voluntary with zero funding or support from legacy legacy institutions and under constant attack by the governments and the banks and the haters. So under the circumstances, we're not doing too bad, okay? So if you're coming to crypto and thinking, yeah, there's all these problems and so on and so forth, yes, we acknowledge that. That's definitely a part of it, and it's very unfortunate. But also, you've got you to give us a bit of credit, given what we're working with, we're not doing too bad in terms of revolutionizing the entire legacy system against the interests of the current legacy system and centers of power. So you want to sort of keep that perspective. Thoughts on that? No, I think you're right on the money. Like I'm following along. Uh, I, I really don't have anything to add other than like, just keep in mind that a, a lot of these scams, yeah, are just custodians. And again, one of the benefits is not having to deal with third parties. It's in that first abstraction. It seems to go against the purpose. I understand why people do it, but it's all, it seems like wrapped up in that investment mindset. Yeah, treat it as cash. Yeah. It's your cash. However you would look after your cash, look after it that way. <laughs> okay. All right. History of Bitcoin. So to understand all of what's going on, how we got into this point, 
just the same as every other topic. There's a million words that could be said about all of this, but we're going to hit the main points for new adopters to understand what, what's going on and how we got here. So the history of Bitcoin in its early days, like I said, started out in 2008. Uh, Satoshi published the white paper, the pseudonymous inventor. Uh, then it was a smash hit. It immediately took off. Everybody loved Bitcoin. When I say everybody loved Bitcoin, I don't mean everybody loved Bitcoin. Most of the world hated Bitcoin and wanted nothing to do with it. But the people who loved Bitcoin loved Bitcoin, right? Uh, you've got your computer geeks, you've got your libertarians, you've got people who are interested in these kind of economic alternatives, you've got the drug markets, boom, they're all in there, right? So you've got a bit of an economy going. In 2013, or up until 2013, there was a site called the Silk Road which was a drug market that operated online. And nobody had been able to do that before because if you tried to run your drug market, well, PayPal would just be like, you're running a drug market. Let me call the feds, right? You couldn't, you couldn't do that, but you could with Bitcoin. So the world kind of got the idea, wait a second, this is, this is powerful. This is something new and different. Now, as the price started to uh, explode, uh, because, you know, from nothing, it, Bitcoin traded, you know, was uh, in existence. I think it was in 2010 sometime that it acquired a market price. So over a year, it didn't even have a price. It was just a curiosity, but it got a market price. And then the economic snowball started. The supply is limited. As more people come in, the value goes up. That attracts attention. Everything that we talk, talked about before. Now, it also brought in more mining hash power. And of course, being involved in Bitcoin at this early stage was was super cool i mean it still is cool now definitely uh might you know but it's cool in a different way back then it was you know this sort of niche uh it's still revolutionary but again it was revolutionary in a different sort of way back there the co bitcoin community was really fun and really vibrant and also really united because all this stuff that i'm explaining about the revolution and taking over the world being the world money it, it wasn't necessarily always said in those kind of ways but that was the vibe and everybody got that and it was cracking along at an amazing pace. And it was just so new and different and trying to tell people about it. And they were confused and all that. It was just a fun little in crowd to be part of. Now, because it was attracting so much interest, uh, you also had merchant adoption. You had Overstock and Newegg and other sort of vendors uh, coming in to be a part of the Bitcoin economy. And it was going great. Like, I can't, I can't say it any better than that. Certainly, if you were there any time between 2009 and 2014, Bitcoin was the best. This is before, like I said, there was a couple other smaller coins. There was Litecoin, Feathercoin, whatever. But everybody who was involved in crypto at that time was was a heavy Bitcoin. That's just the way it was. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of my quick summary. I don't want to spend, you know, all too much time on it. Again, we could do another show about this, but... Uh, I don't know if you've got any thoughts on this, Jet. This was kind of before your time, but... Yeah, I just have one question. Uh, clarification, I guess. So I remember, I think somewhere reading that the original Bitcoin uh, software wouldn't... It was only available on Windows. Is that correct? I believe so, yeah. Isn't yeah, it... the original Node stuff, yeah. Isn't that kind of interesting? Like that it takes off with nerds and hackers and libertarians. And I feel like most of those people go with a Unix-based operating system. Nuts. Yeah, well, uh, a bit, a bit, yeah, but a bit less. I mean, even at that time, yes, but probably less. Like it will have Windows share of, you know, programming culture will have declined over time. It was probably still a minority at that time, but will have declined. And the other thing is that, yeah, there's been a lot of speculation, obviously, 
being anonymous and whatever people don't really know but about satoshi so satoshi was an engineer first and foremost that's something i think people fail to understand a lot of people think of satoshi as you know philosopher or revolutionary or an economic genius or something and that's all true but you need to understand that satoshi was an engineer in the true sense of uh, went and built it you know it didn't come up with this theory of bitcoin and publish the white paper and say good job guys no uh satoshi made it and then actually they built it <laughs> you know they made the uh first uh node implementation and put it out there so people could try it and test it and make sure it worked and make transactions i mean the white paper maybe could have been enough if satoshi had written the white paper and put it up online and said here you go guys here's the system and just paste well maybe somebody else would have thought oh this is kind of interesting let me write up the code and see if it worked what nobody needed to because satoshi just proved it and in fact satoshi wrote that uh, he had tried he had to write the software first to convince himself that it was viable and then afterwards kind of fleshed it out with the with the white paper and the theory so yeah. Yeah. Do you think it's possible that the Windows only client was kind of uh, on purpose, like knowing that it had such a dominant market share? No, I think it was probably again, this is total speculation yeah. on, on my part. But I think I think it was probably because people say like Satoshi was a very strong programmer, very knowledgeable, knew a lot about it, but also made a couple of, you know, um, quirky choices. And I think hmm. that was that was just one of them right okay. was that satoshi for whatever reason maybe didn't you know wasn't a big linux guy <laughs> big pro was just, just kind of like no nah, windows good enough i've met coders like that plenty of them and in fact for the kind of uh, c++ uh whatever it was c implementations and stuff there's there's a bit more of that that vibe so i can believe it was just sort of like personal preference i don't think there was a grand thing to it okay so uh, to make a long story short 2008 to 2014, it was balling out of control. Bitcoin was great and we were going to change the world. Now, this all came to a bit of a, not a screeching halt really, but it started to get into some murky waters uh, between about 2015 and 2017. And this is a period of time uh, that people call the block size wars. So essentially the core problem was that the throughput of Bitcoin was limited to about seven transactions per second, which people always talk about, but the reality is closer to three in practice, theoretically seven transactions per second, which in the early days was fine. There wasn't, you know, even one transaction per second, right? So that was fine. But at a certain point with the network growing and growing and growing, three transactions per second was not going to be enough. Now, the Bitcoin community knew this. This was very obvious because anybody could look and say, okay, we've got a limit on throughput, which Satoshi had added in 2011 in order to prevent somebody coming in and spamming the network to shut it down. Some 4chan trolls or whatever, you know, people on the internet love to break stuff. Like Bitcoin was still small, still had a small mining network, still had not too many nodes, et cetera. But the game plan was, okay, so we'll add a limit here, one megabyte per block to max out the spam. And, but when the network grows bigger, we'll obviously raise that limit, right? That was just a given. Everybody, everybody knew that. No, this was not even controversial. But in 2014, a new company was started called Blockstream, which was invested in by uh, the banks, by AXA uh, Insurance or whatever they're called, and by MasterCard and various other banking interests who saw that Bitcoin was exploding and they were like, this is a threat. So what did they do? They started a company, you can look it up, called Blockstream, and they started 
gaining influence because they had a lot of money. Like the Bitcoin community now has a lot more money than it had back then. It was very, very small. Uh, and it was mostly just pe yeah, people who were interested for all these different ideological reasons and computer geeks and stuff like that. So this is not some well-funded, scrappy little corner of the internet, right? So Blockstream comes in with millions of dollars funded by the banks and started buying up the Bitcoin developers. Now, some areas of, uh, you know, Bitcoin, this is obviously more disputed history. And if you're interested in this, you can look up the documentary Who Killed Bitcoin, which I helped to narrate the English version of, uh, which goes into some of the detail about, about this. But there is, you know, a strong suggestion and evidence that this was an attack to try and shut down Bitcoin, right? Maybe the government and other people, who, the banking interests who had looked at Bitcoin and thought, we can't, we can't stop this. Like there's too many nodes, there's too many people everywhere. It's too distributed. There's no headquarters to attack. How are we going to stop this growing? And it seems what they decided on was, well, the developers, if we essentially buy off or capture the developers, we'll be able to to stop Bitcoin in its tracks from scaling to being the global reserve currency, like I've been explaining. So they had this company, Blockstream, and they came in uh, as the things were getting closer and closer to this uh, limit of uh, three transactions per second. And the community started saying, well, let's raise the limit. And the Gavin Andreessen, who was the software developer that Satoshi passed on the sort of mantle to when he left in 2011, was starting to prepare for that because like I said, everybody knew that was the game plan, what we were going to do. But the narrative was completely changed. Even though the original Bitcoin community, like you know myself, people who had, had been there before all of this started, thought it was obvious what we were going to do. Suddenly, uh, this company came in and started buying up the developers and a lot of them changed their opinion. And they said this uh, capacity limit of one megabyte blocks, three transactions per second, that's enough. We don't need any more. <laughs> Uh, we should just stop. Like, it's it's fine. Bitcoin is perfect. No, no need to really fuck around with it. It's all good. What do you mean we're going to raise the, the block size? So, of course, the community started to debate and discuss this. And uh, that also couldn't be allowed because it was obvious nonsense. It was clearly a lie. That's like not even a question. But, it you know, it's like George Orwell. It became the truth. And how did it become the truth to a lot of people was by censorship. So... On our Bitcoin, which is the Reddit uh, website, the discussion section for Bitcoin, that was the largest place in the world to discuss Bitcoin. Now, you need to understand in this context that at the time, 2014, you know, 2015, there was about, you know, 50,000 subscribers on this. And that was almost everyone who knew anything about Bitcoin was reading this forum. So who will say this, this nonsense that uh, there was a bit of censorship that couldn't have stopped things that couldn't have changed things. No, it could. It could. And it did. It definitely did, because when you only have, you know, let's say maybe 100,000 people max in the entire world that are discussing Bitcoin, and it's only mostly discussed in two places online, because everybody's spread out everywhere, uh, which was our Bitcoin and also Bitcoin Talk, the forums there, um, where, you know, the censorship and manipulation of those discussion platforms 100% changed the entire course of everything. It's not, it's not even... Uh, debatable right some some people will say oh no it didn't no it did it did there was not that many bitcoiners and the ones that were were suddenly subject to this huge regime of censorship so Damos, who is the head moderator of our bitcoin talk of uh, bitcoin talk and our bitcoin suddenly implemented these new rules 
that nobody could discuss raising the block size limit, raising the throughput limit in order to keep scaling Bitcoin. That suddenly became this verboten thing that was forbidden. Now, the community, which was supposedly this freedom-loving, you know, censorship-resistant money type of crowd, went ballistic. And uh, Thamos even famously made a post saying, look, if 90% of users want to leave, then they should all leave. Like, I don't want to, if 90% of users want uh, to change the moderators, they should all leave. I'm going to be the moderator either way. Now, this guy, Thamos, nobody knows who that is either. Like Satoshi, he's anonymous. But unlike Satoshi, he seems to have been, you know, very set on telling the community what they could and couldn't do. So again, there's various sort of conspiracy theories around around that um, too. So this block size war was this online debate and discussion that happened around scaling Bitcoin. So it's the name block size war is, is quite appropriate because it was, that's how it was. It was a, it was like a civil war. It was a, like any geopolitical uh, war that, that goes on where there's very passionate people on both sides. There's dispute around the history. There's a lot of finger pointing and who did, who did what, and people get very entrenched and very passionate about it and it comes to a point of quite a lot of bitterness well that was the exact same thing that happened to the bitcoin community in this so-called block size war so nobody was physically attacked nobody was you know shot but there was you know a lot of debate and discussion and vitriol there was cyber attacks there was people's uh internet getting taken out and ddos and all this is was going on right now this is sort of hard to understand in in hindsight because like i said there was this small community of of people but it was also growing all the time so even if all the original sort of bitcoiners or very least the overwhelming majority had thought that they obviously were going to raise the limit once this censorship and corruption of the bitcoin developers happened uh with themos and with blockstream and all of that suddenly a lot of new people were always flooding into the community and they were only hearing one side of this debate, this manufactured debate. It wasn't even a debate, but it became a debate. It was manufactured to be a debate. And so they started to believe the side that they could hear. I mean, that's natural. If you can only hear one one side of the story, you're, you're going to be- believe this. And I think people should keep in mind that given the current, um, you know, all the stuff we're seeing now around like the coronavirus uh, vaccines and the censorship and uh, stuff implemented on on that, you know, people can understand even at a global scale, this uh, sort of suppression of a narrative and fear and not wanting to speak out. And there was a lot of that going on, but this is only happening on this tiny little in- corner of the internet, uh, but a very, very passionate uh, one about Bitcoin. So there's a ton of stuff that went on with people trying to negotiate about how to re- how to raise the limit, what what limit we could do, what limit we couldn't do, so on and so forth. But the main point was that in the end, there was no way to raise the limit. The censorship campaign and buying out the developers was effective. And so no matter how much negotiating and discussion was done to try and raise the limit, it essentially all failed. And the people who didn't want to raise the limit, which became known as the small blockers, they uh, essentially won. They won this um, block size war. Now, you've got to imagine this is in an environment where there's increasing media hype, there's people flooding into the community and transactions are rising all the time. So there's a time limit. It's quite critical that this happened because as the limit gets hit and the fees begin to rise, the adoption begins to go into reverse. So things get worse and worse. 
um, in terms of the currency spreading. And that's why now there's we have this whole array of options because everybody started going to Ethereum and all these other things because Bitcoin was was failing on its mission to be the global reserve currency. Uh, merchant adoption was going backwards. And yeah, I feel like I've just about said enough on this whole segment. We can talk about this all in detail another time. But the key point is that on the 1st of August, 2017, uh, the big blockers split the Bitcoin into two into a small block version, which is now Bitcoin BTC, what people think of as Bitcoin mostly, and BCH, which is the big blocks version that continued the original spirit and the original game plan for to be global reserve currency. Now, that was obviously, uh, you know, had never happened before. Nobody, like everything in Bitcoin, it's the first time that anything like this had ever happened. So nobody was even sure that it was going to survive or what was going to happen. And to the big blockers, you know, to the Bitcoin Cash podcast, to you know, the BCH side to this day, that still is the original real Bitcoin, right? This small block corrupted version is is a fake that has stolen the the branding and a lot of the attention and mind share. But as we've seen, it hasn't really taken off as a global payments system. And that was because of the interference of Blockstream and all the censorship and everything that went on in that. Now, at the time, there was also this other thing called Segwit2x, which was supposed to be this kind of middle ground between the small blockers and the big blockers. And the long and short of that is that that also didn't end up launching. Uh, that was more just like a distractionary ploy, which yeah proved to be a ploy and it didn't go anywhere. So yeah, I don't know. There's a lot more that could be said about this. I never know how to explain this this history, right? But Jet, what's your take on all this? I completely forgot about the Segwit2x until just now. Like, I remember seeing a bunch of Reddit posts that had the no2x flare, I think, was the thing. And yeah, I, it, it's weird. Like, this is early enough in my cryptocurrency timeline that the details get fuzzy. I don't remember having been banned from r slash Bitcoin until after, but I remember being for the big blocks the whole time. I mean, not really understanding, just knowing that I didn't want to pay $70 in fees. Uh, I mentioned this definitely on an earlier episode. It's almost a rite of passage to be banned on r slash Bitcoin. And I remember, the, yeah, the post that got me banned was just complaining about the fees in the Exodus wallet to move B, uh, BTC. I can't remember if I asked about BCH or if I was just complaining about fees. I think I asked about BCH. But even then, I assume that would have been rhetorical. I definitely had done BCH transactions. But yeah, wild. No 2X. So anyway, I brought up a wild uh, uh, <laughs> memory. Yeah, so the, like, again, there's a, you know, we could talk endlessly about this, but the summary for this episode, for everybody listening, if this is your first time in the Bitcoin Cash community, uh, is you need to know that this was a horribly traumatic event but that the for the Bitcoin Cash side, at least, we're still continuing the original mission to be global reserve currency with the original scaling plan. And a lot there was not only a bunch of censorship and misinformation at the time, but ever since, there has also been a huge amount of lies and bullshit made up by what is now the BTC side, who managed to get all the clout and all the price increases. And so they tell all these stories, a lot of which are not true, or at least misconstrued, you know, and it's a very confused thing. Um, but the key point is that, yeah, the original Bitcoin mission was subverted, but luckily the it was preserved uh, in this kind of like, uh, you know, what's it called? Superman, you know, his parents like launched. That's how I think of it. Like they had the whole planet Krypton, right? It's the planet. It was just exploding. And the parents were like, 
look, we need to save our race. We're going to just like put this baby on the rocket ship and like send him out and maybe that can survive. That was exactly what happened. Like <laughs> Bitcoin in quotation marks was just exploding and everything's at wreck. And so some some big blockers were like, we need we need to launch the, the rocket ship. So they did. Uh, and that was Bitcoin Cash and they saved everything. But it's now our chance to get Bitcoin to global reserve currency. The BDC side is not going to bring up this is all not even to get into the whole thing with lightning network so lightning network was said there was going to be this huge solution that was going to fix everything with bitcoin well you know here we are eight years later and people are starting to recognize no it's got a lot of problems in fact now they need Xiaomi and mints to fix their lightning network and they need their lightning networks to fix their bitcoin it's a whole clown show but uh you know there's much much more you can find out about all this but let's just wrap it there that's that's what happened bitcoin got taken over and the big blockers had to eject to keep things alive okay so you had that happen august 1st 2017 was when it split now the next phase of bitcoin history true bitcoin history bitcoin cash history was the bsv hash war so immediately after separating from the small blockers remember under a complete cloud of still censorship and attacks and confusion and the miners who knows what's going on we need some new developers organizing all this stuff the sort of rebel you know uh bitcoin cash side of things uh, is now operating on it on its own without that overwhelming suppression and all that but also without all of you know our bitcoin everyone's been banned from there nobody's really coordinated so the community is trying to get itself together it seems like it should have been united um because now suddenly we've got rid of those guys and we're doing the original mission but it's like anything once you if you are formed in opposition to something then suddenly there's disagreement about what are the alternatives like what are we going to do now became the next phase that everybody discussed now i was a lot less involved in this era i was much more involved in the earlier era i started to take a break but i think jet might have been a bit more involved in some of this so maybe add some commentary but the key points is that the big blockers the were now had to figure out what the game plan was and it created another civil war so it just left one big chaotic civil war and started a, a second one uh which became the bsv hash war ultimately so the crux of the issue was that this guy craig wright who claims he's satoshi with very poor evidence suddenly became this big figure in the community claiming that I, I I invented Bitcoin and I know exactly how it works. So I have all these ideas and we should just do exactly this. Now, you know, again, if you ask me, this is just a, it's just another attack on the on the project because he didn't really have the evidence that made sense. He made loads of claims that were proven to be wrong. Um, but he was popular because with at least some people, because he had a strong vision and a strong charismatic personality and was promising that he would fix a lot of things in a community that had just been devastated and just lost this civil war over Bitcoin, right? So for that reason, he, he got a lot of popularity and not everybody was able to see through, like not everybody's an engineer, not everybody is able to see through the, the lies. And so especially when there's in such a chaotic situation and there hasn't been time for some of those claims to be proven as uh, false. Now, this guy, Craig Wright, he had his mate, this guy, Calvin Ayer, who's a billionaire from online gambling operations who has two companies, Enchain and CoinGeek, and essentially using those resources, he was propagating up this, this side of things. Now, the rest of uh, the community 
was kind of saying, what are you saying? Like a lot of what you're saying is not making sense. Instead of just raising the throughput limit, he was saying we should just take it off entirely, which for a number of reasons that we're not going to go into right now is like not really a good idea. Yes, you can increase the limit over time, but just having, it's like your car, you know, instead of having, oh, we can only drive the car in first gear. That's stupid. Your car's never going to get anywhere. Well, how about we kick it up into second gear, third gear, fourth gear? Yeah, all totally fine. Well, what about if we just remove gears and we just don't have a max speeds and we just drive until the car turns into a burned out wreck? That's stupid, right? So you need to have a, a sensible middle ground. So all of this uh, discussion and, and chaos just turned into this new hash war. Now, Craig Wright uh, sort of was losing support in the community. So he decided that he was going to essentially take over or prove that he was the king of Bitcoin cash uh, through the mining, which again, mining is important. There's a lot of elements, but there's a lot of false narratives about that. But he said, I'm going to take over and just wipe out anybody who is mining on the other side of, of Bitcoin Cash and prove that I am Satoshi and everybody should follow my plans for Bitcoin Cash. So he said that he was going to bankrupt everybody who disagreed with him, which he, of course, f completely failed to do. Uh, and in the end, ended up being ejected from the community to form his own split off his own chain of Bitcoin called Bitcoin Satoshi's Vision. And everybody can go and look into that. Uh, I mean, I, I warn you to be careful as you get involved with it, but I, I, I'm not trying to censor it or shut it down. I think you should look at it and see what has happened and the history and hear their version of events, because I think that's the best way for you to understand that there's a lot of nonsense uh, is to go and see for yourself. Um, but the after much of this chaos and everything between 2017 and, two, and late 2018, BCH, the big blockers, then split again into BCH and BSV. What was your takeaways or, or perspective of this, Jen? So this was the only hash or the only split that I kind of found confusing. And even now, so the real reason for the split is that, well, the claimed reason for the split is Craig was against the C CTOR, canonical transaction ordering, and uh, I think it was op check data sig or data sig verify or something like that. And those things, um, yeah, now I, I don't know the technical details. I don't know exactly where they're used. But he went on to say that it would be used for illegal bucket shop operations, which is casinos and, you know, degenerate online, uh, online activity. And because I don't really know where those things are used, I couldn't argue for or against it. Like technically, well, like any hedge, any hedge uses that. Okay. That's the degenerate bucket shops that he was warning about. <laughs> gotcha. Okay. Well, I appreciate the information, but I also just didn't care if someone wants to do illegal activity. I don't know. Like, how much does it affect other people? That's what I care about. But it seemed like a social split, and I was like, okay, I want bigger blocks. Like, I, I am for bigger blocks. I'd like to get as uh, the big, the biggest blocks that we possibly can. And especially at that time, I felt like we had a lot more momentum too. And the, I mean, this was pre-actual split and pre-ash war, but the chance of the flippening was still, I think, culturally significant. Or the feeling of the, the chance of the flippening was still culturally significant. It's weird because I didn't like Craig. I know that. I liked that he got people irritated, but I didn't like Craig. Uh, and... But at the same time, I was for more on-chain transactions, and I didn't really think of the activity as spam, so long as they're paying the fee, like that, that all kind of makes sense to me. Once the split actually happened, uh, 
every day was more obvious, like what side I felt like I belonged to because the, yeah, the difference in culture was huge. And I don't know of anyone that like played the fence there. Like it seemed like there were very clear distinctions. And again, it didn't seem like those distinctions were technical at all. I'm glad that he does not have the influence in the BCH space. Yeah. So this all kind of cuts to this idea that that Bitcoin is decentralized, right? Nobody owns Bitcoin as much as Craig Grant was claiming that he does. The the earlier civil war in the blocks as was, and then the same one in BSV, was kind of proving that it's coming up as this organic, uh, decentralized kind of thing, right? And you also need to understand that BTC got loads of prominence and, and momentum and stuff just because they weren't fighting internally. The BCH community was just in a mess. And so, uh, of course, they weren't very competitive. And that's why initially BTC, despite being wrong on a lot of things, was able to get traction and, and momentum, right? No, because they weren't having a second civil war. And if I remember correctly, the person that actually like introduced me to BCH is also in BSV. So that being the only real like tie that I had to the community, like I, I was getting involved, I guess. But that being like the anchor point for me, it was weird to be like, oh, this guy that kind of gave me all of the reasons to be involved in Bitcoin Cash is now leaving. Uh, maybe I should reevaluate my own stance. But yeah, all worked out. It is what it is. Okay, so you had this entire second civil war. All right, now then you had a third civil war. I know how ridiculous this is even to look back on, but it just goes to show how messy and horrible this entire thing has been happening. Again, to call back to what we said before, you, you need to keep in mind that this is under an environment where we're actively under sort of attack from the government, from banks, from haters, from everybody saying it's not going to work from, you know, uh, regulation, like it's all happening in this confused mess all around the world. Block size war, BSV war, then you have a third civil war. So this was running from essentially the end of 2019. I mean, maybe there was some period of like unity and, and peace, right? But things got into contention again uh, in this period uh, until so mostly 2019 and 2020. Uh, and the key this time uh, in this third civil war, which I've called the e-cash war, I don't know, there's not a catchy title for it really like the hash war and the block size war but anyway this third one was around this guy amori sachet who i'm actually quite a, a fan of and uh to be honest uh at some point we'll probably have him have him on the show i'm sure he's watched this show he's it certainly messaged me right when i started it and said hey can i come on he didn't even say hey can i come on the show he said when can i be on the show <laughs> kind of and anyway it didn't come together but uh, at some point i would really like to have a, a chat with him i've never never talked to him. And I think he has a lot of good points, right? But but uh, he had been leading the one of the node implementations called BCH ABC as his self-styled benevolent dictator. And uh, after the BSV was gone and Craig Wright and all that, uh, things were carrying along. And then he decided that he needed to have more funding for as a because he was programming for these nodes uh for the the software and everything and he thought well how am i gonna make money doing this essentially if i don't have money i'm not going to be able to write the node software and we're not going to be able to run the network of course this ignores that up until that point everything had been fine fine is maybe a an overstatement but there were ways found to get developers uh money so his proposal was to add i think it was eight percent it wasn't 12 percent, right it was seven percent i think it's eight percent uh the original proposal I don't know. 
the eventual proposal any proposal no okay so i think now it's eight but the original proposal if i remember correctly was closer to like 12 16 percent or something that's why 12 rings a bell that's why that's why i thought that was it anyway there was various proposals the the point is the division was really people who said no we don't we want at zero (laughs) zero is the only acceptable amount and uh, Amori saying, look, how about if when the miners mine a new block, they send 8% to me to fund my development? Now, in his mind or in his explanations of it, there was a certain element of like, oh, no, but it will be for the network. It will be for the community. We'll have vote or we'll have different ways to decide what happens to this sort of pot of money. But I think very reasonably, the rest of the community disagreed and said, well, if the money's going into your wallet, I mean, you can even say, oh, I'm going to make it a multi-sig. I'm gonna... It was kind of like, this is an obvious centralized thing. Like, how are we going to have a decentralized currency if we're funding this central entity, which is then attackable or able to have problems or corruptible or whatever, right? It was very, uh, very obvious in that way. So the community goes into a third civil war where once again, battle lines are drawn, harsh words are exchanged, all of this, like... This is all in the context at the same time as everybody's trying to make wallets and onboard merchants and do all this This is the third civil war that is going on simultaneously to trying to spread the revolution and become money for the the whole world. And the upshot of all of it is that uh, the community created a thing called Flipstarter, which was to demonstrate a way to do funding for nodes without uh, needing a central tax to be put into the actual coin itself and they also developed this thing called chip process which is a way of the community agreeing on what upgrades should be made right because it was obviously thought well if we don't want this tax what in the future somebody proposes something who's influential that's a like a good or a bad idea how do we actually know what we do and don't want to do there was no agreed upon process for that so the chip process was created so Amori and uh, his sort of followers or people who believed his arguments or side of things split away in November of 2020, and they now have their own coin, which is called eCash. They rebranded it to that, but it does, you know, has Satoshi's original coins that it does run through the history. So there's now BTC, BCH, BSV, and XCC all kind of competing to be the best uh, variation of Bitcoin, really. Um, but he was sort of kicked out and the community got into a stage where they, yeah, they'd rejected firstly the influence of Blockstream, then the influence of Craig Wright, then the influence of Amori. And, uh, uh, you know, as a result, finally got to this new era, which I've called on this slide, the modern era. There's not really a good word for it, but uh, I think that sort of sums it up where at the start of 2021 or after the fork in 2020, things things were at a, a, a point of stability. Now, this is when I mentioned before that the podcast started, the Bitcoin Cash podcast was started in January of 2021. And that's because I hadn't been super involved, but I had been watching all of this happening uh, here and there and also busy with some other stuff in my life. But I was paying attention to this and I saw that uh, the community had proven that they could reject any kind of central influence and just govern itself. And so at that point, I became once again sort of reconvinced and passionate that Bitcoin Cash could be the global reserve currency, like I talked about at the start of the episode. 
And so I started the podcast to get everything back on track. Now, the community was also very dispirited at this time because fighting three civil wars and, you know, winning two and losing one, you know, even any civil war that is going to be draining on people's morale and resources and things are not going well for BCH in the overall scope of crypto because the rest of the market has moved on. You know, they haven't been fighting these civil wars. They've just been cracking on united and happy with and making money as the markets go up. But Bitcoin Cash is becoming more and more uh, neglected and fractious and divisive and everybody's burnt out. So I started the podcast uh, predicting that things would improve and get better and hoping to actually have an influence in in helping to turn that around. And that essentially is what has what has happened in the last two and a half years. Bitcoin Cash is is going through a bit of a renaissance. You know, it's coming back into its own because now the governance is stable with the the chip process and a lot of the doubters and people had different ideas or didn't really get it or whatever had all drifted away and you were just down to the hardcore that had the same original vision sort of that I that I did uh, from the early days or who had come into it somewhere along the way and and kind of got the message uh, in that same way. So in the last two and a half years, just to touch on a few of the things that have happened, there was a whole saga with CoinFlex and Smart BCH, the Bitcoin Cash community had a side chain, which was kind of like a version of Ethereum. And there was some good and then some bad about that. There was a lot of excitement. There was a lot of new building. There was also eventually a ton of problems and a big scandal about it. Uh, there's other episodes of the show. You know, Now we're in the period of history where the Bitcoin Cash community has cataloged all of it. So if you're quite interested in this period of history, you can literally just listen to the show and find out what the community was thinking and what was going on and all that at the at the time. There was all that. Uh, separately to all that, we've had St. Kitts and Nevis in the Caribbean has built up a suddenly a, a ton of adoption. Uh, that was where the Bitcoin Cash 22 conference was held. There's a bit of a circular economy going. Uh, it's amazing, but that's been a, a bit of a theme of everything that's happening uh, and that's kind of in contrast to El Salvador, which has been trying and failing uh, with their BDC and Lightning Network and everything. You had the 2022, you had the technical upgrades, bigger integers and introspection, and I think some other stuff. And then in 2023, in May, uh, just recently, we had an upgrade called Cash Tokens, which is a lot of things. Again, there's episodes of the show all about this. We can't go into it all now here, but it essentially makes Bitcoin Cash one of one of, if not the most powerful uh, UTXO cryptocurrency, which is obviously critical for driving demand and our ongoing uh, place in the cryptocurrency markets and becoming the global reserve currency. Uh, the, the key point of all this is that the ecosystem has started to thrive, right? Uh, the podcast has obviously taken off, has been, has been doing quite well. It's still not massive, but it's been gaining traction. We have BCH Bull, we have BCH Guru, uh, Tap Swap. You've got Cash Rain by Kim.com, who was in the chat before. You've got Celine Wallet that we're going to talk about in a minute. Uh, there's loads of other things going on, and everybody in the Bitcoin Cash community is actually quite well aligned and focused on the mission and agrees on what we're going to do, become global reserve currency, and how we're going to do it. Uh, and at least so far, that that's been going great, and the recent price pumps is just kind of the market starting to figure out that this is what's happening like if you look from a sort of outside perspective when bdc and bch split it's easy to just write off bch as just this rebellious mess but 
it's taken a lot of time and a lot of chaos and a lot of problems, but BCH has reorganized itself and is starting to, you know, it's like a marathon runner, you know, it dropped back in the pack because it was injured, you know, broken leg, whatever. But it's like, well, like the, what do they call it? In the Tour de France, you know, where there's people who like are out of it for half a day and they go and get medical treatment and whatever. And then they start back on the track, but they're way behind the peloton. Well, that's Bitcoin cash. But all the the medical assistance, all the drama, all the chaos, well, it hurt, but it made BCH stronger than ever. And yeah, now we're seeing that that surge. Any reflections on this period? Just that I'm glad to be a part of it, I guess. Because I think, yeah, all the splits, I was definitely getting burnt out. And even now, like, I still don't really participate too much. Like, this is it. This is my real connection. I hop into the price chat every now and then and give people shit when they're causing commotion in the other telegram groups. But for the most part, I, I feel like I'm outside of things. Maybe that's a healthy pullback for me because I do tend to obsess. Uh, but I'm excited to see... Yeah, the momentum pick up again and excited to see where things go. And hopefully, you know, if momentum keeps going, like I can do the original end goal of just working on Bitcoin cash all time. And I'd like to, if we can, I don't know, if we can do like a playlist or an archive of like, because I think Kurt Walkert has some good stuff from early BCH days. Same with uh, same with Colin, same with like the even David Allen with those early BCH like roundtable videos or whatever they were called. Uh, I think it would be nice to have. Yeah, I, I, more of a full picture of the history in like a 40 hour format. Definitely. We'll need to create some kind of compilation or even just a YouTube playlist and everything. And yeah, yeah we can archive all that on Bitcoin Cash. And to be honest, that there's a lot of that history I need to dig into as well. Like I, I know the broad strokes and I was kind of paying attention for some of it, but I've even gone back and I've read a lot of the stuff that was happening at the BSV uh, war that I didn't know about. And that was super interesting. We had a chat in the telegram the other day and the, some of the guys who were there were talking about the e-cash war and how it all happened, you know, super, super interesting, uh, but it will all need to be archived and preserved. BCH chief landing says good times. Uh, in the most sarcastic <laughs> font imaginable, uh, undoubtedly. Um, okay, so that's that's the long and short of Bitcoin Cash history, or really Bitcoin history, as to how we got here. So let's talk about today, where we're at. The last couple of weeks, the price has been absolutely exploding. Why? Because, I mean, you know, who knows really at any time whether the price goes up or down. You know, anybody can make their own judgment uh there's this edx exchange has just come out saying they're supporting bth a lot of news is saying that's the reason that's clearly not the reason otherwise bdc or e or ltc would be doing great right i also saw that i think one of the coin flex coins i don't know i think maybe the flex token itself pumped and something connected to the uh OpenX exchange also pumped so i wonder yeah. how much our favorite fellow mark lamb is involved with all this He'd been, yeah, well, maybe they found some way to get a fresh batch of money and pushed it all into BCH and it's pumped us back up. Who knows? But it, does, it doesn't really matter why it's happening. I mean, it does a little bit, but the point is the price is going up. That's getting attraction, interest, eyeballs, uh, and BCH is, is stronger than ever and people are starting to actually figure that out. Like in the broad picture, uh, again, you have all these crypto channels. There's tons of them right now, which is so sad, but also funny to watch trying to figure out what's going on with bitcoin cash and they often just have these most basic hey they don't know any of this they don't know any of this history they don't know any anything like what all what i was explaining about the fundamentals of money like 
if you've watched this show, congrats, you know, up to this point, congratulations. You know more about cryptocurrency than literally like 95% of the cryptocurrency industry. <laughs> anyway, they're in there um, <clears throat> and they're saying, oh, uh, you know, BCH is just randomly pumping and I don't know, it's just a fork. So maybe forks are a hype thing right now. They don't see anything that's what's going under the surface of the iceberg, right? So what's the what's the actual game plan here? Since BCH split from BDC in that original uh, split on August 1st, the game plan has been, well, we got to get to global reserve currency. But before we get there, uh, obviously, we first need to be back the king. We need to be number one in crypto because you've got to defeat all the cryptos before you can worry about sort of the US dollar and euro and all that, all that right? So the... This idea of BCH getting more market cap, more users, more miners, more hash rate, more recognition than BTC is called the flippening. And that was, you know, yeah, like you were saying about that, that was in there right from the very early days as part of one of the big sort of goals, missions of the, the community. Now, we may be seeing this now, like that big statement, and uh, we'll, we can talk more about that once we've gone through the details Uh of it, whether it is or isn't happening now. But I want to make very clear before we talk about all this, that's not necessarily the case. This is not, it's happening, guys. Everybody get fucking fired up. In one month, we're going to be bigger than BTC. No, maybe there's an outside chance. But uh, in the this this all the idea and the concepts and all that are relevant, whether it's now or in two years or in five years or in 10 years, whenever it is, okay? All right, so the flippening. So how is BCH going to take back over BTC and become the number one king crypto that everybody in the world decides, wait, this is the real Bitcoin. Fuck that other pretender BTC with Lightning Network and all that. We tried that and it didn't work. How are they going to come to align on BCH? Well, what the game plan is, is to create enough adoption and enough tech and enough demand and all that stuff that BCH becomes essentially voted for by the market right as the price of bch rises against bdc it gets more traction it gets more hype and like we said it gets more miners so if bch can get more uh traction in that way over bdc like that's that's what we've got to do now for anybody listening who like we said at the start of the show bch was at all-time lows against bdc at the time of this last episode 247 to 1 now in the last two weeks or less, it's gone from 247 to one to under 100 to one. So this can happen very, very, very fast. Not saying that it's going to happen in the next two weeks, but when it does finally happen, it will probably be far faster than anybody expects. Even this last two weeks has kind of caught a lot of people off guard. Why? Because very little BTC or BCH needs to actually move or change hands for this to happen. At the point once the world in general has realized that the BTC lies and all that stuff was just imposed by censorship, it was all false and it was all wrong and they're heading down the wrong path. And as a collective kind of realizes, wait, no, BCH is actually succeeding and growing and going to be the global reserve currency. You know, it's, it's again, it's like the COVID narratives or it's like any, any lie or any belief that people have. There's a gradually then suddenly tipping point at which everybody is suddenly, oh, it's obvious when just before that, you know, they'd all been cut. I don't know. Oh, I, I know, but I don't want to say because I'm going to get outcast or whatever. So very few coins are actually going to take change hands. And 
most of this is going to happen just on a couple centralized exchanges. But the BCH price rising or the ratio falling in the way that it has been recently is a titanic threat to BTC. And most mostly the people in that are trying to poo-poo it and say, no, oh, it's just a small rise. They don't really see the broader context that ECH has been on a huge tip of momentum in terms of all the new projects, all the new stuff that's going on, uh, and how united and energetic the community is. And also at the same time, how much they're failing. Like BTC is more criticized by the rest of the crypto community than ever. And now that they have ordinals and all this stuff, that's good. It's created some action, but it's also changed the composition of their community a lot. The whole we're going to be digital gold is just failing because people are like, no, you need to be a modern cryptocurrency. Um, and so so on. Omar says, every time Jeremy says flipping, BCH goes up one USD. All right, flipping, flipping, flipping. So uh, the anyway, the rising price is, is quite critical because in the end, uh, it's going to create, like I said, it's going to happen quite fast. It's going to create a death spiral, a very dramatically named, but very apt thing on BDC because... Bitcoin Cash adjusts its difficulty algorithm every block, uh, but BTC only adjusts once every two weeks. Now, again, this, we can't go into all the details. If this is your first time listening to this show, you're going to be there's a lot of this is going to be over your head. But just try and follow along with me here and fill in the details later. Right? BTC only adjusts its difficulty once every two weeks, and the miners adapt to hash rate in real time. So as BCH rises in price, in ratio against BTC, more and more miners switch uh, from BTC to BCH, which slows down the blocks on BTC. Now, with the blocks being slower and BTC almost always being at full capacity, the fees start to rise to transact on BTC. Now, if you get that loop starting like we've seen with ordinals uh, recently, or in the previous bear markets, if that loop starts at the same time as BCH is surging, it can form a virtuous cycle, right? BCH goes up in price, miners move from BDC to BCH, uh, from, yeah, B, uh, BDC slows down, the blocks get even more full, congestion ramps up, fees get even higher, and then the market realizes, wait, BDC is broken and BCH is working. It's still just processing transactions. No problem. And then, of course, you have all the surrounding stuff of people discovering the history. What's going on here? What is Bitcoin Cash? Wait, I've never, I thought they were just a shitcoin. I never researched this. Wow, look at this episode of the Bitcoin Cash podcast, right? Uh, then that that is all going on at the same time. And so then more people uh, convert into BCH and they either sell their BDC and buy BCH or they just buy BCH because they're like, wait, this is kicking off. And then the price goes up higher and then more might. And so you see it forms a loop. Now, at a certain critical point of that process, everybody is going to realize what I'm explaining here and that that loop is not going to end. So fees are going to be rising on BDC with less and less uh, actual people who want to transact able to get through. And all the value from BTC is going to be draining into a BCH, which is going to be skyrocketing in price, thus getting media headlines and attention and all of that, right? And anybody who owns BTC in the end is going to all have to try and cram their value in, into BCH or they're just going to zero because as BCH price, right? Like think about it, if BCH gets to 50% of the BTC price, which would be a huge pump from today, 
is like the more BCH, the closer it gets, the more likely it is to keep going. It's a it's a cycle, right? The more everyone would get excited, the more everyone realizes, wait, it's over. BTC is 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 finished. And especially if the fees are $50, then they're $100, then they're $200. Like people on the BTC side, firstly, they're not going to be able to afford to send any transactions, but they're just in a bidding war against, against themselves as the market will start devaluing the price of BTC and further pumping, pumping the price of BCH. Now, it's critical to understand that there's only a tiny amount of BCH actually available on the market. After all these civil wars, all this chaos, all everything that has happened, the price crashing, so many problems, etc. Anybody who owns BCH now is pretty fucking serious about it. They aren't just going to be going out, oh, let me just sell it for a quick 100% gains. No, they're going to be holding it non-custodially, like we said, not your keys, not your coins, and they're not going to sell it. So since there's obviously about 19 million at the moment, BDC and BCH, but realistically, there's probably only about 15 million BTC. I've seen as estimate maybe, you know, four or five million have been lost or burned or whatever. And on BCH, there's even less. I've seen estimates about 13, you know, 13 to 14 million uh, because some was lost in the forks, right? So of that 13 million, at least, you know, 12 million of it, probably more, is already held by BCH diamond hands. So all the value, like as, as these coins change price ratio like this, there's still going to be 19 million BTC and 19, you know, and uh, 19 million BCH. But the composition of who owns what has to change. Emerald hands, BCH, yeah, emerald hands, exactly. BCH community has emerald hands, which is 20 times more valuable than diamond, right? So BCH community is not going anywhere. So there's probably only a few thousand, maybe tens of thousand BCH available on the market, and probably not that much more is going to become available, even as the price goes through the roof, because the BCH community has the whole philosophy of being able to spend and you know their coins natively amongst each other. They don't need to cash them out to go and buy something in fiat. That's the whole point. We've left fiat behind. So uh, BTC is going to just gridlock as everybody tries to flood into BCH. And unfortunately for a lot of the BTC holders, their value is just going to go to zero. They're going to be in a position with a, a money that they're trying to send to an exchange to sell but their transaction is stuck. And meanwhile, the price of BCH is just doubling and then tripling and then quadrupling as the price of BTC falls and the entire world kind of just clues in that BCH is going to take over. So at some point that is going to happen. It's a gradually then, then suddenly type of process. I didn't think that the BCH community was big enough or vibrant enough or had made enough of an impact to hit that moment yet. Uh, but in the last two weeks, you know, we've gone from 29 to, to 13 or 14 on the market cap. If we get, if it keeps pumping, if it gets to 10, it gets to, you know, five, <laughs> it could be, could be it. What do you think, Jet? Is this the flipping? I want so badly. I don't think so though. Like the fact that the community chat rooms like telegram reddit even your twitter account that kind of thing like they the momentum had picked up after the price pump so i think i don't think this price pump will be sustained i'd like it to but i i really don't see any reason for it like it seems like yeah obviously a bunch of a bunch of shorts getting wrecked yeah it just doesn't seem organic to me so i don't think this is the flippening but uh, I'll be here for it. I, do, I, I yeah. think that is almost uh, inevitable. Like either 
yeah, either we flip in BTC or uh, all of cryptocurrency will be stifled forever. Yeah, there's there's not really any other options, really. Yeah. So maybe maybe and and again, like we'll we'll see. You know, if you're listening to this show in a month, two months, six months, you'll be able to look back in history and see how it all how it all played out, right? But there's certainly one history on the cards where the BCA just keeps going and the flipping starts becomes a global phenomenon and like we see it happen right here. And there's certainly another one where it just chills out for a bit. Things probably the more likely case, I agree with you. Uh, it just retreats a little bit. You know, things settle down a bit. The BDC people who are getting a bit panicked and antsy uh, as much as they try and deny it. You know, they've been talking a lot about BCH recently. They settled down. Ah, ha, ha, shitcoin. I knew it was nothing, et cetera, et cetera. BCH community cracks back on with building, spreading adoption. The show has been rocketing up in uh, Twitter followers. You know, a bit more of that goes on. And then the BCH community comes out with some uh, fresh upgrades and and so on. You know, cash rain launches uh, in the full production version. Whatever it is, who knows? Maybe in six months, uh, a giant whale announces, look, I looked into it. Maybe Elon Musk, you know, maybe he says, look, I tried BDC, it didn't really work, but BCH is popping off and get me involved in that. It could be anything. Who knows what's going to trigger it in the end? But this cycle will then um, kick off. Uh, so just a question of of when uh really so you can all and i, I want to be clear as well one other thing is the first episode of the podcast if you go back and listen to the first episode of the podcast it was called history of the it was called white paper whitewashing and history of the flippening this has been embedded into the show from the very beginning um so you know anybody who's thinking that i'm just high on my own supply because the price is rocketing up right now oh, the flipping no that's always been the goal since the very very beginning um, right. Well, I think that's uh, enough said about that. We're kind of coming up to the end of our time, but we've just got one more slide is I want to just tie it together a little bit with Celine Wallet. So on episode eight, Atalisti on this show, Hold on. and we on talked about uh, 82, I think it was. There we go. 82. Okay. Just cut out. I wanted um, the listeners to hear that. Right. So 82 with Calisti, and we talked about Celine Wallet, which is a cryptocurrency wallet that he and I have developed and built uh, to onboard the whole world to global reserve currency. You know, what of all I've been saying, all this theory, all of that, right? We need to actually implement it. We need to put it in practice. Uh, and unbelievably, despite all the trillion dollars or whatever in cryptocurrency, nobody has yet made a BCH-only wallet that was open source and reliable and easy to use and had all the tech built into to scale like the white paper says and all that stuff. So I got sick of it that nobody had actually done it. So I just got to do it myself. So Callisti and I have, have made this wallet and you can go to Celine.cash, S-E-L-E-N-E.cash and you can download it and you can try it yourself. Right now it's on um, Android, but we've got an iOS version coming soon. Uh, there's also the .apk files are on the website. So if you're using one of those other Android uh, variations, you can load it up um, yourself the code is open source you can read that you can come in the telegram group and you can talk to us about it if you have suggestions or feedback or improvements it's only been live about six weeks but let me tell you over the next uh, year or two we're going to make it unbelievable and it's going to be the best onboarding experience to cryptocurrency there is the focus is on making it easy and quick to use as cash you can download it to somebody on their phone 
in just a few seconds, send them some BCH instantly, they receive it. Obviously, we'll link it up at some point with different merchants and places you can spend it so people can get right into the whole cryptocurrency thing. And uh, yeah, that's how we're going to get the plans to get, you know, target 10 million people using BCH every single day. And uh, then from there, you know, it will spread to the rest of the world, obviously, right? But that's all to say that this whole global reserve currency is not all just theory. We're actually doing it in practice. It's, it's underway. And uh, like um, Emergent Reason says, quoting uh, Bruno Mars, uh, Uptown Funk, don't believe me, just watch. We're going to make that happen. So that's it, uh, really, for this show. Is there any final points you wanted to raise or bring up? No, I do have one question about solutions. Yeah, yeah. What do you think has been like the pain point in developing? Uh, just lack of time. I mean, Callisti and I both have both have jobs, you know. Yeah. Uh, obviously, I do the podcast as, as well. And then I've got a job and the podcast. And then like Celine just gets in there with the barest little <laughs> scrappy bits of time on the on the weekend or on the in the evenings sometime or something like that. And it's the same for Callisti. He's got uh, other stuff going on and uh we do have a little bit of sort of you know funding and resources for it but it's not like a full time just day by day cracking it out uh obviously we will try and monetize it and get it to that point but it's not at that point yet and um bitcoin jason says celine has random addresses generation it's not um it's not random but it does get you new addresses kim says do you need funding kim maybe message me later and Let's talk about that. But you should also download Celine and give it a go. Um, and we do have uh, some funding. Yeah, let's talk more about that. Um, okay. And uh, that is uh, kind of the game plan. That's that's what we're, we're doing here. And to everybody who's been listening, hopefully <laughs> this has been a 10,000 foot overview of all the history, all the philosophy, all everything that's going on in Bitcoin Cash. But there is, of course, a million other elements uh to this and you can go back and listen to other episodes of of the podcast uh, and find out more about it right now final thing is we need to give our supporter appreciation and this is a quite a special episode because it's number 85 which means that we have delivered on our flip starter again if you're new to the community uh bitcoin like i said flip starter is this uh crowdfunding platform but the bitcoin hash podcast we promised we would do these 10 episodes from 76 to 85 well here it is we've done it promised and, and delivered um so you know we'll we'll see about going forward what the what the next move is there uh so thank you very much to our donators uh thank you to the patrons ricky and hp thank you to our sponsor general protocols check out bchbull.com uh, they have solutions for speculating and hedging your bch so if you're interested in uh the you know uh, minimizing or even amplifying the volatility of BCH, then you could do that non-custodially, not your keys, not your coins, etc. All of that. Uh, look into that. Uh, our Flipstarter supporters, thank you very much. Uh, Marcelo, Renegade, Cheap Lightning, Emergent Reasons, Unspent.app, Molecular, Bitcoin Cash Orders, Mini Satoshi, and Callisti.cash, the same one that's helping me develop the Lean Wallet. Uh, check out BitcoinCashPodcast.com. We've got FAQs there, a full history of all the all the episodes of the show. We've got uh, coding resources for people who want to build stuff. We've got recommended links for people who are interested in the history. If you want to read up on all that censorship and all what went on there, there's uh, lots of good stuff collated. Um, 
yeah, it's all there. BitcoinCashPodcast.com. Final shout outs, Jet. Any any shout outs? I think this one is just uh, to any new listener. If we get a large amount of new listeners, this episode has accomplished what it was set out to do and hopefully uh, makes a lasting positive impact. Absolutely. Yeah. I've had a lot of people asking, oh, what is the first episode I should listen to and how do I get into it and stuff? And we don't really have one that just sort of ties it all together. I did an episode eight. I did one called, I think, How Bitcoin Cash Will Be the Global Reserve Currency. And I I explained uh, some of this, but that was at much lower production quality. uh, And also it didn't go into all the history and all that uh, stuff as well, too. So I'm glad we have that now. My my shout out, yeah, goes to goes to the new listeners and actually also to the to the old listeners, the ones who've been following it along all this all this time. You know, if you've been following this show, then for the majority of it, I've been saying, yeah, we're going to global reserve currency, etc. And uh, in some ways, there's been tons of evidence for that. I think uh, in terms of the development of the community, how positive everything's been. There hasn't been splits. Obviously, there was some chaos with CoinFlex uh, and all that, but we got through it. You know, things have been rolling in the in the right direction. But at the same time, the BCH has been dropping in the market cap. The price has been going down. You know, the FUD is always perpetual. Uh, and if you stuck with it all this time, well, you you're seeing what things are like once it once it turns around. So uh, yeah, this is really just the beginning of the journey in some senses. But you know, it's been in other senses, it's been it's been a long ride. And uh, for people who are you know <laughs> the diehards, you know the Bitcoiners from way back in the day. Uh, for for the listeners who don't know, you know we've had on this show many many early Bitcoin uh, adopters, earlier even than me. You know we've had. Uh, 2009 adopters we had 2010 2011 like you can go and look look up uh, some of those episodes and hear from the people who were there as it start as early as you could you could imagine basically and for them you know it's been it's been a 15 year journey this whole thing uh with bitcoin and, and with crypto so yeah bitcoin bitcoin cash is the real bitcoin uh thank you for listening and until next time thanks so i started realizing that if you can just find strength just a little bit longer. You will have a crew of people following you along the way. And that is another thing that no one can ever teach you. Because you, you're going to have to learn that on your own. You're going to have to figure out how to pull that energy out of your mind on your own. There's, not, there's, there's no book you can read that all of a sudden I have it. I've got the technique now. I know how to do it. Yeah. No, it's, it's a, a grind that you have to start and finish on your own.